that football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? You just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, previewing all the week four NFL action. Ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Bro. You want to use your word of the day that you were just looking up? I wasn't looking it up. I got emailed for some reason a word of the day. I have never quite figured out why. If you could just throw it into the somebody I signed you up for it. I don't, I don't. I don't remember signing up for such a thing. But the word of the day apparently is irrumpent. If you're just listening here, uh, sign Sam up for more word of the words of the day here. Yeah. Um, Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll get into all the week four games. Don't forget all of our shows powered by PFF Elite, really, where all the grades and stats come from. So uh, go over to PFF.com and you can join us. You can go through and see how everybody's graded because that's what we do. Grade every player on every play. We did our Wednesday show yesterday, just us talking about everything for an hour. Surprises. So if you missed that, don't forget to to check that out. So let's get into all the week four games. It's Thursday morning right now. We're live on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Tonight, the Jacksonville Jaguars take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are favored by seven. Yeah. At home, right down the street here, at our home. So uh, what are you looking for in this one? Uh, obviously, some people will have already seen it when they listen to this. True. Though the people watching on YouTube won't. So they're yeah. good. Um, it's a rematch, by the way, of uh, LSU Clemson with oh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing to watch, right, is is – does Joe Burrow continue to look pretty good? Um, can the Bengals keep him as upright as they did last week where Pittsburgh weren't really able to get much pressure? And as you said, a lot of that was because the ball was coming out of his hands quickly. And then the other side, can Trevor Lawrence you know, stop throwing the ball to defenders? One of these weeks, he will, right? Some of the other reads, um, <clears throat> we had mentioned the, the, the two deep coverages and just kind of firing threw- the ball through linebackers. But that... That um, flea flicker. I was going to say, he threw a pick six on a flea flicker, right? I'm not imagining that. No, he did. Has that ever happened before? I mean, I've seen it's interceptions. It's really tough to do because the flea flicker is very often open. You usually have multiple right. receivers open. But I've seen like bad interceptions on flea flickers. But it's usually like when, oh, you, six. when yeah. you pitch it back and you just assume the deep ball is open and you put it in the air regardless, and then it isn't, and it gets picked off. But it's picked off like 45 yards downfield in the middle of the field. Yeah. This one, it's like the short sideline route to the to the linebacker. Yeah, it was pretty poor. Um, again, I think I think it's a timing. It's a it's another timing issue for for Trevor Lawrence. Um, here's the one comparison I'll use. Remember when Matt Castle took over for for Tom Brady back in 2008? Yeah, everybody remembers it. There was a point in his season he took like four or five sacks per game, and and there was a point in his season where he just started to feel more comfortable. It was, this is just one of the distinct examples where I I, I remember feeling like a quarterback just got it at some point during the season not that he ever became great he just became better at like getting rid of the ball and not and playing with better timing so it was like week seven or eight castle just felt like he got it and i I wonder if 
I, I, we're just going to see that from Lawrence. Like I think the timing will just be there and he'll just eliminate enough of these mistakes in a given week. So there's a lot of this talk uh, this week about, you know, how much a, a system should protect the quarterback, you know, Justin Fields in particular. Like how much should you have helped him out? And this is relevant to all the other guys as well. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones is being fairly well protected by that, by that offense. And I was listening to Albert Breer yesterday on the Ringer NFL podcast. And he was saying that there's a feeling within Jacksonville that Trevor Lawrence is essentially bulletproof and it you don't need to protect him, at which point just you got to get through this, right? This is going like this is a thing. You're just going to have to let him work through, understand what he can and can't do. And then at the end of it all, you're going to have this great quarterback, but he's got to work through all the bad anyway. So just take your lumps, throw him out there. Give him the full unvarnished version of the offense and say, this is what you need to be able to run. Get through the mistakes. And they're I, confident that it won't damage him in doing that. So just get them all out of the way. You seem like you would think that's crazy. Just knowing you. Do you think that's crazy? I don't think that's crazy as a thought process. I think that, so the, I think that's what Peyton Manning had, right? In 98, and he came to the end of this 98 season, Manning set the all-time interception record for a rookie and, you know, had a very many great terrible plays but not a single human being was at all concerned that Peyton Manning was yeah. going to be good it was like, okay oh this is just part of the deal you go through this you throw a million interceptions but he he learned it he learned how to play NFL quarterback and then next year we're good um I my only concern is that you know the league has changed quite a bit since 1998 yes and I don't know that that's necessarily a thing anymore I mean, look at all the quarterbacks that have come in and just hit the ground running and not have to go through this hell of nightmare um, mistakes. I think there's definitely scenarios where that's true. I'm just not 100% convinced this is one of them. I think the thought process there is fine. Um, somebody, One of our astute YouTube commenters actually used the point that I would make. That is what they do to Andrew Luck, right? I mean, the Colts threw a ton on Andrew Luck's plate. They're like, oh, he does full field reads. He's great. Let's do all this stuff. I remember when Zach Robinson was here and we had our quarterback podcast and we would review games and all that stuff. And he would come out of Andrew Luck games all the time and just be like, man, there is so much on his plate. And that was, he was in year three or four at that point, but there was just so much on his plate. Um, whereas I, I, if, if they're saying, we just got to throw Lawrence into the deep end, go swim. Mm -hmm. I, I don't hate it. However, if you're building an offense, when you drop back 30, 35, 40 times in a game, quarterbacks still need gimmies. They still need 10 to 15 plays where it's not all on them. It's not full full field read. It's not, um, it's just a, it's like a, a break, right? And those are, right. those are rollouts. And that was the Andrew Luck Those are screens, as well. right? Those are, those are quick game or whatever it might be, even if that's not necessarily Lawrence's strength. So if the perspective is run the offense, there'll be mistakes, that's okay, that's fine. If they're not going to, going to build in easy throws, then that's a mistake, right? I mean, there's got to be a balance there. I'm also um, not 100% sure that you can be that confident that it won't be damaging. Like, you know, we, we've talked all before, all the time about how inexact this entire science is. Quarterback evaluation, projecting one guy from one level to the next, just how good a guy is going to be, period. You're telling me you're that sure that putting him through this fire is not going to harm him long-term? I mean... I applaud your confidence. I'm just not sure there's a basis for it necessarily. Um, on the other side, the uh, Joe Burrow's thrown the ball 75 times. 
through three games for 75 passing attempts. I, you know, I'm curious. Last year when they played on Thursday Night Football. Through that like a game. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm curious if uh, if the Bengals can can keep this strategy. It's it's a it's one of the most, if not the most, run heavy offenses in the NFL. So the, it is actually a game where stopping the run probably matters for the Jaguars. Um, they got to you know try to try to get the Bengals into uh, into third and longs. And the the annual question, weekly question: Can they can the Bengals protect Joe Burrow? And again, last week, getting rid of the ball quickly was fantastic. Watch Jamar Chase. Um, who do you like in this one? Uh, Bengals by seven, by the way. So people, by the way, complained last week that all we were doing was taking the favorite, but the underdog to cover the spread, which is unfortunate because that's where I wanted to go here. Uh, Don't listen to the people, Sam. I'm, I mean, no. get your real answers with PFF Greenline. Yes. Right? Real answers are at a part of your PFF Elite package with PFF Greenline. Seven's a lot of points. Um, I am going to go with a Trevor Lawrence breakout game and a Jacksonville win outright. Jacksonville win? Yeah. I'm going to say Bengals win, Jags cover. <laughs> I'm going to go with last week's take. Seven. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good game. I want to see Trevor with a zero turnover worthy place. That's what I want to see. Interestingly, in Green Lion thinks there's value on betting the Bengals even at seven. Really? Yeah. In fact, the number's up to seven and It's a half funny already. when I was, I was looking through Green Line for college the other day. And, uh, or even in the NFL, it might have been the NFL. Whatever my intuition was before clicking on it was like the opposite of what of what they said, which is which is the value in having something yeah, yeah. that's uh, running the numbers for you. Um, anyway, let's go uh, Arizona at the LA Rams. We've got the Rams by four. Pair of 3-0 and NFC West teams. Going back to our preseason takes, the NFC West is going to be the best division in football. We may have been right. We may have been, they might be tied with the AFC West, Both to be West. honest. The two Wests are great, but a nice early season matchup and, uh, Rams coming off that incredible win at home against the Bucks. What are you liking in this game or looking for? Yeah, I think this is a, a real test for the Cardinals. They've been flying high. They started last season on fire as well. So now their sort of thing is, can they sustain it and not tail off the way they did a year ago? Now they're going up against the Rams, who have suddenly become like a Super Bowl favorite all of a sudden because they beat the Bucks. You know, last week was being talked about as a potential NF. Uh, NFC Championship preview, but the Rams, as you said, this is the toughest division of football. They they can't switch off just to get through the division. Like to be the best team in the division, make the playoffs. That's not necessarily going to be a gimme. If you lose games like this to Arizona, you could find yourself in trouble pretty quickly. So the Rams did a great job last week, um, and Arizona's defense presents some interesting challenges. They've got a weird collection of players. And I mean that like in a good way. They have a bunch of very unusual athletes and styles of player that are somehow mashed together into this one defense that's actually functioning at a really high level. Uh, I just tweeted out, you know, trying to get people here to, to the YouTube channel, which team moves to 4-0 in the Cardinals-Rams game. I think people want us to go out on the limb on predictions here. I might call a tie. A tie? Yeah, both, team comes out, both teams come out 3-0-1. Huh. Cardinals-Rams tie. I wonder what Greenline says about that. They predict a tie, maybe. I doubt it. Imagine if they did. Um, I'll predict a tie. That means uh, Arizona covers the four. <laughs> uh, uh, the obvious thing here, the Rams defense. Um, they gave up 430-something passing yards against the Bucks <clears throat> last week. There were a lot of empty passing yards in there because the Rams were in control of the game for the most part. It, it, to me, it's this Rams defense against big play Cardinals offense, right? The Cardinals, the move of Christian Kirk to the slot which uh, that's where Jalen Ramsey resides now. That is where Jalen Ramsey generally plays 
in the Rams zone heavy scheme. So he's not always manned up, but he'll play matchup zone, be a part of the run game. That's Ramsey. Um, but it's those matchups, right? DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, uh, Rondell Moore and, you know, the trickeration in the screen game. He should have room with how soft the Rams play, even though the Rams work downhill pretty well. Wandell should have room to work. Again, the Patriots, I'm sorry, the Bucs last week, you know, ran a lot of screens and, and underneath stuff, but the Rams did a good job um, shutting that down for the most part. So look out for Rondell. But I think that's that side of the ball is going to be fascinating. And then again, to repeat it for the 19th time on this, just this week's, this week's podcasts, the Cardinals are the third highest coverage grade in the NFL. I never would have expected that. It's a tiny sample size. It's a volatile number. Uh, this early in the season, you could go from third to 12th, and the Cardinals might after this week with the Rams. <laughs> Um, but that, you know, can the Cardinals with Byron Murphy playing well and Robert Alford, can they slow down this Rams offense, which has just been hitting all the right buttons here so far? Yeah. And then obviously every time you play <clears throat> the Los Angeles Rams, you have how you deal with Aaron Donald, um, which is usually a bad, you know, a bad thing for any line within that division in particular, which are that the entire sort of NFC West offensive lines outside of the Rams are like, Let's creep toward average and a bit above if you're the 49ers. Um, but every time you face the Rams and Aaron Donald, the whole thing cascades into disaster. Yeah. Like that dude is just destroying Seattle's guards in particular every single time they play. But, you know, you look at Arizona's as well. Last season, J.R. Sweezy at right guard, the first time they played, had a pass blocking grade in, of 19, Justin Pugh of 35. Um it's just it's tough like donald is an absolute wrecking machine and if you don't have that covered with a game plan not you know not other people you're gonna have real problems um, one of the keys to this game because look kyler a ton of big time throws this year you mentioned on the last show different types right and we're talking fades we're talking he's zipping it in it's it's a lot of scrambles outside the pocket kyler likes to drop his eyes in the pocket when donald wins right what do the Rams edges do? Are they going to mop up? Are they going to keep Kyler contained? Because we might see this two, three, four times in the game. Donald's in the backfield. Kyler is one of the few quarterbacks who could drop his eyes, maneuver the pocket. If he gets outside, he's been dangerous. Do the Rams contain him? And do, do those turn into sacks and negative plays for the Cardinals or big plays like they have so far this year? There was an old commercial years ago when the Vikings were going to be playing the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, John Randall was the Vikings' best defensive player at that time, one of the best pass rushing three technique defensive tackles in the league and they had Brett Favre the Packers and this was a point where like Brett Favre at that stage was considered you know an athletic mobile quarterback that was going to run around and cause you some problems and scramble and all those kinds of things so this ad was John Randall preparing for this game by chasing a chicken you know like Rocky <laughs> and like trying I think it was a chicken in like a little Brett Favre number four Packers jersey but it was like John Randall running around trying to catch this chicken. That's kind of how I imagine Aaron Donald chasing down Kyla Murray is going to look like. Does this somewhere? Yeah, it's got to be on YouTube. Because I found Randall. that awesome ESPN commercial where they were previewing the draft and David Carr was sitting there behind a blank offensive line. Yeah. Like they deleted all of his offensive linemen and then they were like, what does your team need? Pretty fair. Which yeah. is great. Um, but that's what this is going to look that. like. It's going to be Kyla Murray, the chicken being John, chased by Aaron Donald. John Randall chasing a chicken commercial. Yeah, see, I told you it would be there. Oh, there it is. 31 seconds. Uh-huh. We're just all going to... Everybody pause and let's watch this commercial. We could put it in. We could stitch it in. Not in the live one. You guys are you guys. We are could stitch it in but later. For the, for the regular it's one, on we could stitch it in. 
Audio less so. You're going to have problems. You're oh, going to have to go find it yourself. Oh, I remember this now. But that's what it's going to look like, right? That's Aaron Donald chasing Kyla Murray. Nike commercial. It was a Nike commercial. Okay. So uh, 1998 was a, was a fun time. It was a special time. That was Back. 98. Okay. I think, it's, I think that said 98. I thought you said, well, maybe you said it. Whatever it was. Anyway, yeah. <clears throat> Kyler, man, he's so, he's so elusive, man. He is so elusive. Um, the other somewhat interesting dynamic here is the Cardinals and Kingsbury have a history because of all their their spread stuff they have a history of an efficient run game the Rams tend to invite the run we'll see how much the Cardinals might stick with that Um, Stafford's playing really good football Um, again he is playing what the people who hyped him up this offseason and thought this was a perfect match and put Stafford in the top five or six quarterbacks and all that stuff they're on point through three weeks they're there they are and one of those weeks has been like a legitimate test I mean, whatever about the first two, it was, yeah, you probably should look great against these teams. But last week was legitimate. They beat a Tampa Bay team that is arguably the best in the NFL. Okay, they were missing a couple of players, but I I don't know that that would have made a huge difference. They dominated that game. All that said, Stafford's our number nine graded quarterback. So he's not the, the team production, EPA and all that stuff is at the top or near the top. Stafford's not playing as well. And again, I think this was what we may have predicted you know he's going to be a low to mid 80s graded type of quarterback and the production is going to be incredible we'll see if it's early but we'll see if that continues um so i I predict a tie Hmm. in this game just and so arizona covering the four what are you where are you going (laughs) yeah um this one i am going the rams to win and the cardinals to cover because it's right i don't care that people don't like that listen i don't care what people think either you just do what's right what i do care about is week three of football being in the books and it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. That's right. They're official. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is doing this. Ready? Giving all new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. You don't want to miss this. So you head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week four game to receive $150 instantly in free bets. If Sportsbook's not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. It's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Of course, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wage required, one for customer restrictions, apply to DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, earn Indiana, Indiana 109 with it. Oh, I tried to do it without a breath. I know, you almost, that was almost like amazing. I wouldn't that be good at that game where you have to hold your breath and play capture flag or whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, anyway, DraftKings Sportsbook, the promo code's PFF. Don't miss the deal. All right, tell your friends. We're previewing Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. No one else is talking about this, but we're going to cover it Mm -hmm. here on the PFF NFL podcast because we care about the people. Uh, We care about you and uh, YouTube land there. If you're over there, just uh, hit the thumbs up button. That always helps us, helps us go viral, as they say. And Brady versus Belichick. I I wonder if Brady signed with the Bucs. Remember, he was was looking at the Chargers. He was looking at the Bucs. If he had signed with the Chargers, he would have played the Pats last year in L.A. I wonder how much he looked and was like, all right, the Bucs are going to be in New England in 2021. I wonder how much he thought about the, the, the return and going back. Probably not that much. Yeah. But, but here we are. Um, but now that it's here and that the Bucs and obviously the Patriots are in different conferences, this is the first crack they're going to have at each other for a while. Like assuming they don't meet in the Super Bowl, which is 
you know, <laughs> always possible with Tom Brady. Uh, the next time they can face, even with the 17 game schedule, is like 2026 or something, right? Like it's not for a while. Yeah, it's every four years, pretty much, unless the NFL expands to like 26 games or something. Yeah. So this time. is like, I mean, Brady's going to be like 48 or something by the next time they can possibly face each other. I mean, so we might it. be we might be hitting a point where Brady could outlast Belichick, right? Like, when's Belichick too old to coach, and Brady's not too old to coach? But like, at what point? Is he just he's dumb? built up two decades of credit, in, like money in the bank. Like, how quickly can you run through that with with not great seasons? So, this is the matchup. It's in New England. Uh, of course, either people are going to overreact, and the whole Brady Belichick legacy thing is going to come down to who wins this game. Yeah. And then it's week four, so we're going to forget it by week six, right? I mean, that's people are going to forget it um, after the fact. Well, this is this is Montana Young. This is that game, right? Yeah. It's the one shot you're going to have at the team that decided it was time to move on from you, and here it is. Montana, you know, had that one great game for the Chiefs where he uh, played Steve Young's 49ers, showed that he was still Joe Montana, was able to rub it in their face. It's like, hey, you made the mistake. Now, Steve Young was freaking incredible in that game so there was a degree of yeah well <laughs> not really um but that's what great quarterbacks do they show up for that one ridiculous game that doesn't mean anything really except it means everything this is tom brady there is no way he doesn't light the patriots on fire in this game throw for a million yards really break the touchdown record well he's break he's already got the touchdown he's breaking the all-time passing yards record unless he gets held to like 60 yards i, I mean like the single game touchdown oh record. single he's gonna rack up like eight of them or whatever he needs to break that seven so give me a stat line so brady ends up <laughs> he's like 44 for 51 yeah for uh like 482 and, eight uh, touchdowns and eight touchdowns yeah, yeah they're already practicing it right no like, he's got all the the red zone passing plays it's all brady they're not running the ball at all within the 20. it's all been practicing no sneaks he's gonna like check game. out of the sneak to throw it yeah yeah it's all been practicing for this game so he can just hang eight of them all right yeah all right i think i think 40 so sam's prediction i put in words in his mouth 44 for 51 for 585 eight touchdowns no picks for i would have gone 485 but 40, oh i thought he was gonna break the passing yard record too as well like single game I'm, no just the all-time one he breaks okay. that in this game he'll right, break down regardless. the first quarter probably. yeah um well, first, one of the interesting dynamics here, and I, when we had Dan Quinn on, when I talk to defensive coaches, I always ask this question. And I, you know, again, forgive me if we repeat ourselves sometimes because we have a lot of new listeners and sometimes you have to. One of the fascinating things about me is are you, if you're Bill Belichick and you're game planning, are you game planning against the Bucks offense or against the quarterback? Or, how, or where's that balance? How much do you look at the quarterback, who Belichick knows better than anybody, and say he likes to do this he doesn't like to do that he's good at this he's not as good at this or is it we just got to stop the you know their route concepts we have to stop their scheme we have to attack their protect protection schemes to me that's always one of the interesting dynamics here because on one hand you could say belichick knows brady inside and out but the real challenge is stopping the bucks offense in the past concepts right you have to find a way to stop mike evans antonio brown is back off the covid list Chris Godwin, Gronk, is assuming he's healthy. Brait, O.J. Howard, and uh, Lenny. Lenny. So I wonder how much that dynamic is, right? There, there were all those rumblings for a few years where, like, Patriots coaches were, oh, Tommy was just an average quarterback. He couldn't get the ball outside the numbers, and, you know, we could have won with anybody. Those those things came out over the last couple of years. Does, Bel does Belichick believe that? Does he think, all right, we're just going to crowd the middle of the field. That's where Tom likes to throw, because that's not really what he's done. 
with the Bucks, right? Does he attack Brady's weaknesses or does he have to find a way to stop the Bucks scheme? And where's that balance? I would think you have to craft a game plan that tries to put Brady in situations he doesn't like being in, right? Like that's what Bill Belichick does as a defensive coach, whether it's whether it's your uh, your offense as a whole forcing you into a position you don't want to be in by taking away the guy you want to put give the ball to, you know, eliminating Tyreek Hill, eliminating your running back, whatever it is, like whatever your offensive thing is, he's going to take that away. What and, is that with the box? And though? force you to an uncomfortable spot. But it also works for players. He also finds that whatever it is that the quarterback, usually a young one, doesn't like seeing and gives him that. Or Ben Roethlisberger finds whatever it is he doesn't want to do, show him that. Like, he spent 20 years with Tom Brady. If he doesn't know what Tom Brady doesn't like to see as a quarterback, I don't know what he was doing all that time. So he has to have some kind of game plan that at least tries to put Tom Brady in an uncomfortable spot for him whether it matters at all because Brady's playing as well as he's ever played in his NFL career right now, that's a different matter. I would say knowing, knowing what we've seen through the years, the two, the two things that we might see, the Patriots have a lot of games where they actually play, you know, Patriots fans always talk, oh, the bend but don't break defense, right? They've always played great red zone defense. I wonder how much they just give up the underneath stuff, right? So, you, and I wonder how much they play zone. They're playing more cover three, this year than they have probably mm -hmm. forever. A lot of cover three. They're still playing a lot of cover one, second most in the league, pure man coverage. I wonder how much just straight cover two, cover three the Patriots play and say, okay, get the ball, dump it off to Lenny 15 times in this game. So force the ball. Because there's a lot of games where the Patriots just let, let QBs throw the ball into the flat anyway. So that's one question. The second question is, even dating back to last year, Brady versus the Blitz in this offense, it's still a new offense for him. Against the blitz is where you get him a little bit fidgety, right? So those five-man pressures that Belichick does really well, blitzing the linebackers up the middle, pressure up the middle for Brady and all that stuff. Bill's seen that work. Do you in 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 the Belichick and the Patriots do a good job of using their linebackers there? So those are the two potential strategies I want to see for or and how much they mix that up, right? How much do they play soft and let Brady dink and dunk it up the field in an offense that doesn't like to do that, right? The Patriots offense likes to do that. The Bucks offense doesn't. They like to force it down the field. And how much do they throw five-man pressures, play man behind it, and say, make tight window throw after tight window throw, Tommy. And if he does, great. I mean, <clears throat> you know, if he does, great. If he doesn't, you know, you miss a few throws here and there, the Patriots can stay in it. Yeah. Um, the, the other part of this is if they can't slow down that Tampa Bay offense, like, can New England's offense keep pace? Like, if... if yes. <laughs> you, you need to do a pretty good job on defense to slow that Bucks offense to the point where the Patriots offense, as it currently stands is that in was, the game without doing anything. That was the other point I wanted to make. The Patriots are equipped to shorten the game and not in the way that we always talk about, like, oh, the Ravens are going to sit on it and run it. And the Patriots with Mac Jones, I know they tried to force the ball down the field because of the game flow last week, but it has been underneath passing quite a bit. They've put together a ton of 10, 15 play drives. Again, again, I think it was the Saints game. They had a 16 play field goal drive, right? I, I wonder if the Patriots can put together th those types of drives against the Bucks defense again they're playing zone they're giving up the underneath stuff which meshes with the, with what what with what the Patriots want to do are they going to be able to take 10 minutes off of a quarter with a drive here and there just to keep the Bucks I mean that to me that's one of the best things that the Patriots can do hope for some turnover luck and all this stuff and you know at the end of the game maybe the you know 24 21 or something like that I mean that's 
a best case scenario for the Patriots where they're shortening the game and you know letting Mac Jones just you know make quick decisions going up and down the field. But you're expecting a Bucks blowout. Yeah. yeah the other, not a blowout, but like a comfortable win. Okay. I think the Bucks win. I just don't see any way with the evidence, the previous evidence of Montana, that Tom Brady allows this game to not be a comfortable win to prove to the world that the Patriots screwed up by not keeping him around, giving him everything he wanted. I think the Montana comp, though, I, I was all in on the Montana comp last year. I thought Brady was going to have a good year in Tampa Bay. He'd take him to the playoffs. He'd elevate the team. and They'd lose divisional round, conference championship. Montana lost in the conference championship, right, with the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I thought there would be the similar story, right? And it'd be like, I mean, what do you expect? The guy's old. He's done. Brady goes and ruins the whole thing. They win the Super Bowl, go through all the top teams in the NFC and the AFC along the way. Does that take a little luster off this thing? Because if they had just had a good season last year, it'd be like, all right, this is a little more defining. Brady versus Belichick. No, I think if anything, it adds to it because now you've got the momentum or the the narrative is already swinging away from Bill Belichick towards Brady because he just went to a new team, won a Super Bowl his first time of asking. Now he's coming back to show you in your own building that again. Like this, is, Bel- Belichick's back is up against the wall now in a way it wouldn't well, yeah. have been. Brady, I mean, Brady's coming in with like bullies, man. He's coming in, he's like, I got Mike Evans, I got Godwin, right. I got AB. But I'm if like my if, buddy Grok back. If Brady had just been good last year and they'd got to the playoffs and then lost in the divisional round of the conference championships, this would have been less. This like Bel- the We would still be even. It would still be Belichick versus Brady. It's an even split. They're both responsible. Now... It's, well, this dude over here won a Super Bowl when you parted. This guy didn't. Where where would you go? Um, I will, like, the other thing is, this has to really matter to Belichick as well. I got asked that on radio today. You think it? this really means a ton? Yes, absolutely. It felt like he always, you know, relished the fact that he beat the living crap out of Drew Bledsoe every time they faced after he kicked him to the curb. Bledsoe beat them 31 nothing one time. And right. then they beat them back 31 uh-huh. nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it felt like he really enjoyed fairly well owning Bledsoe after that. That's the tough dynamic. You've got Brady's stubbornness and ability to step up in a game he's supposed to against, yeah, Belichick's right. got a pretty good history. Well, pretty good history, and I suspect it really matters to him. But the difference is, instead of Drew Bledsoe, who's like just a regular great quarterback, you've got this freak over here who's the greatest of all time and motivated by things only known to him that the rest of us can't even envisage as a slight. I'm kind of leaning toward Bill. Bill makes Brady maybe look the worst he has all year. Because he's great. <laughs> even last year, he great, I mean, last week, he graded well against the Rams. He's the highest yeah. graded quarterback by about seven points so far through three games. Brady's playing really well. Um, the other dynamic here, New England, I know they haven't played great quarterbacks. Lowest passer rating on 10-plus yard throws. Brady's got the most yards on 10-plus yard throws. Like There's this strength against strength element where I think New England might make things a little uncomfortable for the Bucs offense and eventually the Bucs pull away just because they're a better team. So I don't think it's a lopsided game. It's a pretty good game where the Bucs end up pulling away. But I don't think we come out with, just like in Brady-Manning games, you didn't have that like definitive shootout where it was like 45-42. They were both incredible. They were just uneven and nothing was special. You might get that in this game. The Rams were able to get some interior pressure against Brady last week. And obviously they have Aaron Donald and the Patriots don't. Um, but that has always been the narrative has always been that that's like Brady's kryptonite now all of a sudden he somehow like ducked under two of those things and scrambled away and made some plays anyway but 
I wonder if uh, it's going to be interesting to see how New England attack them, like that offensive line, which is, I think, one of the better in the NFL, but wasn't great last week, um, even independent of like blocking Aaron Donald, which always torpedoes an offensive line. So can the Patriots, who have a pretty good defensive front, obviously absent an Aaron Donald, but they've got some horses up front. Like what, how do they even approach attacking that Tampa Bay offensive line? Do they try and get creative and, you know, roll with stunts and, and twists and all these kinds of things and just confuse the protection? Um, do they do it with uh, blitz packages and blitz looks and try and confuse the assignments? Or do they just like load up on specific areas and just come after them? Yeah, that's why I'm wondering if they're blitzing linebackers. Does, you know, that's what they like to do throughout history do they put those guys right over the uh, center and just you know five-man pressures get after it well it's going to be fun sunday night football the boss is on the call um i'm going to take i'll take tampa bay to eventually cover the seven i don't I, I don't think it's a blowout but i think they eventually cover the seven over new england or is this mac jones coming out party don't forget mac jones with the it factor that he has is he just going to go like oh yeah i got this i'm the next guy watch me go head to head with tommy mm. it could happen you think Tampa Bay covers the seven? Yes, ninety-one percent of the money and ninety-five percent of the tickets is coming. That up makes me think New Tampa England Bay. is gonna—they're gonna make just enough defensive stops, have those one or two long drives that it shortens the game, and it's—it's it's a lot closer than people think. We are dealing with, according to PFF's ELO rankings, Tampa Bay is ranked number two in defense, number one in offense, and number two overall. The Patriots are twenty-two, nineteen, and nineteen. It's Yikes. just. It's a mismatch and an angry Tom Brady. The mismatch other thing and an angry Tom Brady. The other thing Forget at stake here is the Patriots fall into one and three. Yeah. That is uncharted for uh, Belichick and the Patriots. All right, let's go to uh, the other big game of the week. Baltimore Ravens at the Denver Broncos. Broncos favored by one against the Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens just snuck past the Lions last week, 19 to 17. So another, another tough road battle here for the Ravens and uh, a lot of AFC playoff implications here. Can Denver go to 4-0? and I mean, it's definitely the best offense Denver has faced through three weeks, but they've given up 26 points for whatever it's worth against the Giants, Jets, and Jaguars. What do you expect in this one? Yeah, this is fun. Um, Denver season starts with this game. They've, they're 3-0. and They've looked great. I guess they've exceeded expectations because Bridgewater has probably looked better than we anticipated him looking, even given the competition. But those are three teams you should have beaten and they did and i'm not sure how much extra credit you can give them for like style points for beating up on those teams it's uh it's a bit like preseason right you don't get any additional credit for being for how good you were in preseason i just need you to tick the box that you were good doesn't mean anything but you need to you need to at least tick that box so denver ticked that box they're three and oh against three teams that were expected to, to whoop up on and now you face baltimore this is when it actually starts and you have to show that that all that stuff you you were able to do beforehand still holds against legitimate teams. We did uh, the PFF NFL Daily today. Go check it out because we Rashad Bateman's on his way back. Um, don't know if he'll be available for this game or not, but he's going to be playing football soon. And we described we described what's going to happen with this Baltimore offense. <clears throat> They're still running the ball at a ridiculous level. Tyson Williams is averaging over six per carry. Now Latavius Murray's under four. They haven't gotten him going yet. But either way, they're, they're averaging six and a half per carry. Like the Ravens continue to interchange running backs mm -hmm. and move the ball on the ground. But they are attacking down the field more than ever. Lamar's throwing the ball down the field. It's a big play offense against a defense that loves to 
avoid big plays. So this is a good strength against strength play. Ravens offense against this Denver defense that has been just really good at every level. Patrick Sertan as a rookie, Justin Simmons on the back end. Pass rushers are doing a really good job. Von Miller back, looking like Von, Von Miller. Von is back in, in, in run defense grade-wise, Denver's been, been solid. So That becomes really interesting because remember a few years ago, um, was it the Chiefs that just kept optioning off Von Miller, like rather than try and block him? The Eagles did it in a game. Eagles, that was yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than attempt to actually block Von Miller at the peak of his powers, they just ran options off him every single play and took him out that way, right? You just put him in a bind between two different things in two different directions. And Von Miller is essentially neutralized just standing there waiting until you make a decision. It would be interesting to see if that's what Baltimore do. You know, like they made... Chris Jones looked ridiculous against Chiefs a couple of times by optioning him and just putting a big 300-pound dude in space and saying, you've got to try and get... Like, you have to make a decision between Lamar Jackson or the running back, and you have 10, 15 yards to cover to make that call. Like, it's just impossible. Now, Miller is, is more athletic and has better range than Chris Jones does, but it's still a fairly impossible task. I mean, the point of optioning off somebody, like they, it's it's putting them in a bind. They either yeah. make a decision or they it's sit there and look lost. Blocking and not, them without blocking them. Yeah, it's not a bad play, but it's a way to take, even you know, when you just look at the roster and you're on your elite, you know, premium stats here, Von Miller's an 89.5. He's the only one in the blue. He's got a history of grading in the blue in our system, right? right. So if you just and, say, I'm going to take this guy out of the game. And in particular, that's a good starting point. Baltimore at right tackle has Patrick McCarry who's you know, done okay, actually, coming in at right tackle. But do you want him blocking Von Miller every snap? No. No, I don't either. No, probably not. And I'm also Von is not just a pass rusher. Historically an elite run defender yes. as well. And if Von goes to the other side, I also don't want Villanueva blocking him for what that's worth. Me neither. we got to save his grade. <laughs> yeah, he had a – it wasn't in prime time, so we didn't talk about it. But yeah. you know, he crept back toward bad. Crept back toward terrible. Yeah, yeah. last week. But I'm his left sure. tackle grades – uh, even out to average. So yes. Far. So far this season in three games, he's been a terrible right tackle and an average left tackle through, ah, being, yes. through being good and then bad. Maybe they should put him to wide receiver. Imagine those weapons. Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins, Marquise Brown, Ali Villanueva. In a red zone threat, Ali? Yeah. Go to the corner? How is he not catching? I mean, he's a little older now. A little bit. He can still move. The most fascinating career. If Nate Solder can catch a touchdown pass from Tom Brady. Ali Villanueva should be getting ends like 18 fades. yards after the catch, by the way. <laughs> Solder on his touchdown pass. Um, another, and it's a, it's a Teddy, you know, this is a big game for Teddy here, right? The, yeah. Ra the Ravens, you know, are they going to come after him, you know, with the blitz scheme and the whole thing? And Teddy's had some nice plays as far as pocket movement and avoiding pressure and sidestepping and getting out of traffic and the whole thing. Um, they He's are played really well. Yeah, he, he really is. But but they're getting depleted. And who's he played? And who's he played? I'll say that the Jets' defense, though, Salah's done a nice job there. The Giants' defense should be better. And then the Jags. It um, should, but isn't. <laughs> the big thing about Teddy this year, so two things. One, he has been significantly more aggressive than we have typically seen from him in terms of pushing the ball down the field. His average yes. at the target is 9.5 so far this year, which... You know, Not Teddy-like. Right. 10 is a benchmark for if you're above 10, you're probably in the top two or three in the NFL in any given season. Um, Teddy is typically seven, maybe six. Like nine and a half is really high for him. And he's done it without putting the ball in harm's way. He has one turnover-worthy play so far this year. 
remember before the season, I've been saying that, look, he gets sort of pegged as this game manager style of quarterback, but he's always put the ball in harm's way a little bit more than that. Like he yeah. isn't an Alex Smith type of quarterback who just never puts the ball at risk. He does, but this season he hasn't. So those two things have been the things he needed to do to take that step from being, ugh, Teddy Bridgewater is our quarterback to, you know what, he might actually be good enough that this group of playmakers and this defense can go somewhere. And but so all of that has been against, you know, three teams you would expect. Ravens aren't blitzing at the ridiculous rate that they did last year, but still third highest in the league. So you're going to see, you're going to see pressure. But that's right? all because they dialed it back for Kansas City. Right. They did. They and so they are they are still a, a team that in a given game can get after you about fifty percent of right. the time. And I you think, would expect in this game them to dial it back up again. Uh, this season, Bridgewater against the Blitz. I'm sorry, I got the wrong thing on, but mid mid level grade for Bridgewater. He's done much better against against four man rushes. Seventy three passing grade so far this year against the blitz i think that's that is what could make teddy come back down to earth a little bit this week the ravens attacking them so where are you gonna go denver by one here i'm gonna take baltimore to win and cover win and cover you win think? and cover the finally an underdog to win you think that the uh the denver broncos get found out yeah or we're going to come out of this and we're going to spend a week. Are the 4-0 Denver Broncos for real? They passed their first test. I mean, it's going to be a big story in so, Denver. I'm with you. I think Baltimore wins. I think, therefore, Baltimore covers. I do think, though, that this is like the Rams game a week ago. If we come out of this and Denver is handle business, then they're, they're absolutely for real. Like, this is a potential statement game for Denver. I don't think they're going to make that statement. But if they do, I'm convinced. Like, I'm, if, if Denver is 4-0, you know, in, in a few days' time, I'm not asking the question, are they for real? I'm taking that as read that they are for real. It's a it's a fascinating time because I remember I, I used to envision this world where like the quarterback rankings were just all over the place because Brady and Rodgers, like those guys eventually leave. Brady's number one, PFF passing grade. Brady's number one. But the group in the top 10, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Ryan Tannehill, who's now always there, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Teddy Bridgewater. It is a whole new slew of names. It's only three games, but it's a whole new slew of names in the top 10. I think Bridgewater comes back down just a touch, though, in this game. So, yeah, give me the Ravens here. All right, we'll go a little bit quicker through the rest of the games. We'll give you one key thing to watch or so. Hmm. Kansas City Chiefs at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles coming off a, a thrashing against the Dallas Cowboys. Thrashing. Yeah, it's a got, good word. They got thrashed. Uh, it's not the word of the day, but it's a good one. It's not one I would have associated with you either thrashing it's much more of a uh you know upper middle class british term is it i give you a damn good thrashing old boy oh, is that how you do yeah. it yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll use my accent and uh stick with my delivery all right it's fine you do you so casey uh they're one and two yeah they'll be they'll Fuck be on well <laughs> they're favored they're favored by seven at philadelphia yeah yeah it's true like and i think ultimately that's a reflection of how they're losing it's not like they suck. It's that they do really well and then just keep turning the ball over to somebody, yeah. which is probably not something that's going to continue throughout the entirety of the season, um, particularly when it's not – there's no obvious reason for them, right? Like they haven't suddenly – they're just – they're fluky plays. Like turnovers typically are quite fluky plays. So the Chiefs are still good. The they're Eagle, very good. The Eagles are at some interesting ends of extremes, right? It's like, it's like they threw all of our offseason analysis – in our face on Monday night. And I know game flow matters and all that stuff. They handed the ball off three times. And Jalen Hurts had two carries. 
They ran the ball five times mm. against Dallas for 64 yards, by the way. That includes um, <laughs> a scramble in there as well, I think, one or two scrambles. So the whole point of having Jalen Hurts, who has made some good throws this year. He had the pick six the other night. and another, like, He had some bad stuff. He had some good stuff. And I was asked today, where is, what's Jalen Hurts? Is he the guy? Right. He, he looks like another mid-tier quarterback where, like, depending on the time of the game, yeah, he looks good. Ah, no, maybe not so good. Like, we're going to have this roller and like, coaster. Remember, the pick six, his receiver fell over on the play. Like, Yeah, it was heavy debate about that play. Was it left behind and the receiver? Yeah, I mean, either way, it probably shouldn't have been thrown um, with the way the corner was sitting on it. Great play by, by the way, Diggs. Devontae Smith, terrible in that game. Like, yeah. he got bullied and controlled and dominated by Trevon Diggs, his former teammate. Yeah. Do you know what that reminds me of? Um, Jarvis Landry has games where he's good and efficient and moves the chains. He has other games where he just isn't there he just gets taken out of it and i i wonder if Devonte is going to have that level of inconsistency that, based off of this type of result if you were of the opinion that weighing 166 pounds is actually going to matter at the nfl when you come up against like a 200 pound corner that was a game that would back you up because it's not that Devonte can't get off that kind of press coverage or deal with that kind of physicality it's i think that when it happens he's thinking about it every time like he he wasn't himself in that game to the point where it was like everything he was doing required thought. And it's like, oh, if I don't get this right, this dude is going to erase me on this play because he outweighs me by 40 pounds. And yeah. there's nothing I can do about that. And it felt like everything he was doing was just thinking so hard about not screwing up. And obviously, like what happens when you spend your entire time thinking about not screwing up? You screw up, yes. right? Um, can't play sports that way yeah and it felt like that's what he was doing and Diggs just owned him so my point with the Eagles here I think they're going to want to run the ball a little bit more again Hurts dropped back 48 times against the Cowboys I think they're going to, going to want to get back to that high floor offense where Hurts is a part of the run game use Miles Sanders and uh, play the game you try to keep the ball away from the Chiefs Hurts by the way his grade <laughs> so it started off 89.5 against the Falcons like ooh is Hertz a significantly better player than everybody thought he was going to be going into the season? Did he like develop hugely in the offseason? Week two against San Francisco, reasonably good, left some plays on the table. PFF grade of 76, so already down 13 points from the first game. Uh, week three, all in his hands, puts up some numbers, also made some bad mistakes. PFF grade of 66. So we've gone 90, essentially, 76, 66 in a fairly rapid tumble down the stairs. Maybe like 56 in this game? I don't know if he'll go down, but my point is he's gone from like, you know, wow, this is a completely different player from a year ago to one game one game, and one more step away from the same grade he had last year. The one, yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, Hurts got to play a really good game here. Because again, the, the way that Chiefs have lost is teams being aggressive. They played three good teams. But teams saying... We got to score a lot of points. We got to get to 30. We got to get. And a million turnovers. And also get some turnovers. But the Browns, the Ravens, and the Chargers were all aggressive. They got after it. They all scored over 30 points, right? Or at least 30 points. Um, we'll see if the Eagles can get there. The one other interesting dynamic the Eagles are playing a ton of zone coverage, a lot of, you know, soft zone. Quarterbacks have to be patient against them. There are open throws to be had. Mahomes has played games like that, but it's another. I, I, this will be an interesting dynamic. Mahomes at one and two, right? Does he start to force the ball? Is he going to try to do too much or does he continue to stay within himself? In these games, he usually does. Kansas City has six turnovers through three games. They had 15 all last year. Yeah. Again, I remember, I mean, they had some luck last year. 
Mahomes actively tried to throw the ball to a defender to lose against the Falcons last year, and it got dropped. I mean, they just they had some luck. I think it'll all even out. Um, but Philly's only allowed one catch on 20-plus yard throws here. And so I wonder the, the human element of Mahomes pressing and trying to be a hero. Like, is that going to show up? Or is he going to take the underneath stuff over and over and over again? When teams play them this way, he showed that he can do that. I just now they're are they feeling the heat though? Are they feeling the pressure at one and two? I think Kansas City's fine. I think they cover the seven even on the road. Yeah, I think they probably are feeling the heat, but I don't know that that makes any difference. I think they're significantly better than the Eagles and win and cover. Speaking of feeling the heat, <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, you see, uh, Ethan tells me it's International Podcast Day. Oh wow, we're an international podcast. A huge amount of our listeners are international. Yeah, so, well, happy International Podcast Day to all of our millions and millions of listeners. To everybody. We appreciate everybody. Tell your friends, continue to grow this PFF NFL podcast because we continue to grow and we are just very appreciative that we can just talk ball with you guys every single week. That's why we added a whole new show on Wednesday because mm-hmm. there's just not enough time in the week. What, how much? We do like eight hours of podcasting in a, in a week, just you and me. Uh, I mean, two, four, five. Six. It's six hours yeah, between six. the daily... About six. Eight podcasts, six hours. We just talk at each other. Yeah. Two in into you, with you. Happy International Podcast Day, everybody. Um, Seahawks have never been one in three with Russell Wilson. They're at one and two, and they're the underdog this week at the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers favored by three. Um, I think Seattle's worst start, they were two and four back in 2015, but they've never been one and three under Russ. What are you looking for in this one? Um, I mean, I think a big thing is, are the 49ers actually going to deploy Trey Lance in any useful way? I, I'm still so amazed that they didn't break it out last week when against Green Bay. It was like they watched Jared Goff gash Green Bay with a zone read play and just assumed because that happened, it would be fixed. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is such a glaring mistake. Obviously, the Packers will have spent the week preparing for Trey Lance on zone reads and therefore we won't even break it out because they'll have fixed it. It's like, well, okay, they might have done that, but surely you check. And and by the way, checking doesn't even mean like Trey Lance has to carry it. Just be on the field. Just put him out there, run a zone read and have him hand it off to the running back. And if the dude assigned to Trey Lance has no interest in him, then maybe the next time you let Trey Lance keep it and run into the the space that Jared Goff scampered off into. But instead, it was like, no, he's just going to roll out there for two plays randomly in the game. So I don't even know if they need Trey Lance, the Niners, in this game. The Vikings game last week, Kirk Cousins' average depth of target was like six. Beautiful throw on the post. But how many times did they just run a little speed out on third and four against soft coverage from the Seattle corners? DJ Reed, Trey Flowers. How many times did that happen? It was like over and over and over. Now, look, Justin Jefferson's fantastic. Adam Thielen's fantastic. Vikings offense was – but it's it's the that's the Kubiak tree in Minnesota. You got the Shanahan tree. And it's the same offense, right? Jimmy Garoppolo likes to throw the ball underneath. I think the Niners attack Seattle the same way. Like, Seattle's got to figure something out defensively. Last year was – we're getting rid of we're getting rid of the cover three stuff. We got Jamal Adams. He's uber pass rusher. We're going to blitz him ten to twelve times a game. This year he's only rushed the passer fifteen times. They're playing coverage a lot more. They don't have a good coverage unit. They don't have a good group of corners. They're linebacker. And then once they start jumping the underneath stuff, Cousins hitting the dig behind him. I mean, they're just out of sorts defensively in Seattle. And I think the Niners can rely on the pass game and take all the underneath stuff unless Seattle decides to adjust. 
Yeah, the, the Adams thing is funny. So you sort of say only, you know, 15 times rushing the passer, but he, quote unquote, only rushed it 116, 106 times last year. So like, you know, what, five? He was hurt. He missed some games. I mean, it right, was about 10 but it's times not, a game. It was a lot of games where it was 10, 12 they've times. They've dialed him back, but it's not massively. And yet he has zero pressure this year. He's rushed the passer 15 times with nothing yeah. to show for it. Last year, 106 times, he had 34 pressures. He was getting a pressure one out of every three times he rushed the passer last year. And I'm not uh, sure what the right answer is. 11 of which were sacks, by the right. way. This year, he's rushed the passer 15 times, hasn't got anything yet. And I'm not sure what the right answer is for how to deploy Jamal Adams. I think what, I think he's a better he's better in a two-high system where he's the split safety. You play cover two, you play quarters where he can man up or work downhill um, and then play a little bit in the box when you play cover three. I don't think a pure cover three strong safety is tapping into everything that Adams can do. Well, I don't, yeah. I, the problem with a player like that who is a, not even a jack of all trades, who's a good safety at everything is in order to maximize that, you need a defense that actually caters for that kind of player that moves around and can assume multiple different roles at the same time. So Carolina, you know, dedicated a lot of time last year to doing that with Jeremy Chin within their defense. Um, you know, Minnesota asks a lot of Harrison Smith with all the different coverage shells they run. He's the one player that is the sort of linchpin that makes it all function. I think Harrison Smith's a good proxy for Adams skill set wise. Yeah, but Seattle doesn't do defense the way minnesota does and they don't right they don't sort of they don't have enough variety in there for it to make any sense for jamal adams to move around a ton so what do you do with him now you just start looking well he he's a really good athlete and rushes the passer well so let's blitz him randomly like but that like the defense isn't set up to do that you're you're kind of forcing this this situation that shouldn't exist if you were just calling the defense the way you would normally call it because jamal adams is a special athlete it just it doesn't feel like a great fit yet. The, the one other thing that Seattle needs to figure out, their interior offensive linemen all getting smoked as far as the pass <laughs> game goes. I mean, Kyle Fuller at center, um, two straight weeks, they're struggling with twists and stunts. They're struggling with power players. Russ is getting pressured up the middle. And it, and it came back to bite. He's, you know, they were down 10, I think it was, and he's got an open third and eight or whatever, overthrows it with pressure in his face. I mean, it's... It's starting to come back to bite. So the offensive line, which did get better last year, and the tackles, and Brandon Shell's hurt, and that was a disaster last week too. Brandon Shell and Dwayne Brown had done a good job, but the interior has to be better. So the Niners' pass rush, um, getting Nick Bosa back on track, I think is going to be key. They weren't getting after Aaron Rodgers a whole lot last week. Niners' pass rush against Seattle's offensive line. And then Niners, I, I'm with you on like, let's show Trey Lance a little bit more. I just wonder if the Niners can – they want to run the ball, but I just wonder if they can take the short passes all the way up the field and, less, and make the Seahawks try to adjust their scheme somehow. It's also going to be interesting to see if they are as brazen with their coverages as they were against Green Bay, where it's just like, we're going to show you man coverage and we're going to run it and you're going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams. And the we're Niners. Going to, yeah, yeah. And we're going to be sad. Like now you're going up against <clears throat> DK Metcalf. Like there are players I'm not sure you necessarily want to be telegraphing man coverage against. Right. Yeah, that is, to me, that's the, I mean, that's the one difference in the Niners versus the 2019 team where they had, they had cornerbacks playing really well that year. Now they're much more depleted on the back end. And I don't even mind playing man coverage, but let's, you know, disguise it a little bit. Let's not necessarily every no, single play. No, they were play. just press man. And yeah. Be like, no, this is yes. what you're getting. And then 
okay, if I'm getting that, then why would I go anywhere other than throwing the ball to Devonta Adams? Is Josh Norman going to be back? He was like, uh, what he was, was he like doing? internal hemorrhaging or whatever, yeah. albeit somehow optimistic that he would play. He's questionable with a chest quote unquote injury. Chest injury, Can I read which it? I think was, yeah, yeah, read it. From Ian <laughs> Norman, chest, spent Sunday night in the hospital, but he's in good spirits and hopes to play in week four, per Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. That's not the worst one. The one that was telling it was like both lungs were damaged and something yeah. else. They trimmed that part out to fit it into the one-liner here on ESPN.com. Okay. But yeah. Norman's questionable. K1 Williams is questionable with a, with a calf strain and uh, potentially out for a while. So, yeah, we're talking about a depleted group of cornerbacks here got to cover dk on the outside so lockett's questionable though which would in lockett is banged up and big break for them 49ers that is people keep because he gets hurt every year in the seattle offense you know tends to you know sputter a little bit and i don't know if it's just tyler lockett it's just when you're top heavy it's an offense that's top heavy it's two receivers uh, much like Kansas City, right? If they lose a Tyree Kill or a Travis Kelsey, they should be less productive, right? I mean, Seattle is probably as top-heavy as Kansas City. Gerald Everett's a nice underneath option, yeah, but I mean, D. Eskrich is coming back, their second-round right. pick. He we'll hasn't played. He He's injured. Tyler Lockett, if if Lockett is out and Eskrich is out, then it's Metcalf and Freddie Swain, yeah. and that's basically it. Um, so who do you like in this one here? Uh, I like... <sighs> I'm sitting here trashing Seattle, and I'm going to call, and I think they're going to cover and win. Yeah. I, I just like, don't see them going to one and three. I like Seattle to win. I just can't, like, people, I think, because of the way that game panned out, kind of ignored the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo had an almost complete meltdown late in the game. He went from meltdown, throwing hospital balls, throwing the ball backwards that he thought was incomplete, to making a couple nice throws. It was, a, it was quite just a not, roller coaster ride. I'm just not buying into that versus you know i just russ i think seattle scheme fits fits well for garoppolo to have a good game here but i'm going to take seattle to win <laughs> russ is going to bail him out for this the, this time the fourth quarter comeback works for russ all right las vegas raiders at the los angeles chargers i got that right vegas and los angeles well great done. it's not uh oakland and san diego or anything like that it's not. right it's Monday Night Football. The Chargers are favored by three over the undefeated Raiders. Wow, what an awesome Monday Night Football game here. It's a good one, right? Battle of two quarterbacks with top five PFF passing grades. Carr's at second. Herbert's fifth. Uh, Carr's balling. He's throwing 400 yards per game through three weeks. No big deal. And uh, Herbert's balling out too. Pass first offense and sprinting around. And it's uh, it's great. The player yes. out there for the Chargers. Well Darren Waller's on the other side with the player, number 33 on the Chargers. There could be some matchups there that are fun to watch. Do not jinx him. I would never do say his name. Do it. Uh, a lot of good stuff in this game. Really is. Yeah, this is a fun matchup. And again, the the data all says that, hey, look, I know Kansas City is at the bottom of that division right now, but at some point they're going to stop shooting themselves in the foot six times a game, and they will then for win a bunch of games. So the PFF power rankings, the projections, the data, the 10,000 simulations, they still have Kansas City coming out on top of that division, which puts everybody in the same boat again of we are shooting for the wildcard spots. And, you know, if, if Kansas City does continue to stumble, we could maybe steal the division from them. So this is huge. Like, all of that division looks good. Um, and these are two good teams facing each other. I'm, 
I'm actually really excited by this one. Yeah, at first glance, division primetime games don't feel that I, I don't love them because well, it's most probably, of them are never two good the, teams, right? You see this all the time, and it's usually just it's always like Cowboys Eagles in primetime for the right. It's like time. it's like trying to convince yourself that because it's a division game, this is a really good matchup. But it's like both these teams aren't actually any good, so why do I care just because it's within the division? It's like oh, the rivalry between Chicago and Detroit. Like, what? No, but Whereas this, this one is they're actually legit. two really good teams. Um, I just I want to throw I want to throw praise the Raiders way. Okay, um, stuff that I didn't like their off season. I didn't think they made many in, uh, inspiring moves. Uh, perhaps we um, we missed the boat on the Casey Hayward signing. Um, I'm sure we said, hey, that's a good signing, but it didn't. Um, I don't think it registered enough in my head what the payoff could be. The payoff through three games has been fantastic because you know with the Gus Bradley system where Hayward has been. Great historically, he had a he had a rough season last year, but he's bounced back. Eighty five coverage grade, outstanding. He's given up twenty six yards into his coverage and has two pass breakups, allowed three catches. That's and, awesome. And got a safety, and he had a safety. Oh, what a terrible play that was! The delayed smoke screen in the end zone. Mm. Delayed smoke screen. I wouldn't do it. No, me neither. Um, so Casey Harris balling. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, I think at times looks like a, a one trick pony rushing off the edge but the one trick this year has been great with 15 pressures max crosby's been fantastic with 25 pressures we'll see if they can keep all this up uh but yeah the raiders offseason free agent moves have been good and um they're getting contributions there the 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 defense has been better nate hobbs fifth round pick balling out at corner um playing that slot role where desmond king excelled we'll see and maybe it's just fifth you just grab any fifth round corner and you slot them in that's what desmond <laughs> king did and they play well in that system perhaps but Raiders have some moves that they hit on that have helped trigger this 3-0 start. I think Casey Hayward is a massive contributing factor to this defense. Like, he's a guy who, over the last decade of play, the PFF grades essentially are like Revis, Sherman, Casey Hayward. Like, those are the three guys. And Chris Harris. Yeah, and Chris Harris right up there as well. Um, But Casey Hayward has been phenomenal within this defense. He's been phenomenal as a slot or out wide. And last year... His play just fell off a cliff. He graded terribly last year relative to everything else. And it's just another one of those situations where when do you, when you look at a guy's age, it just triggers certain things in you, right? A guy has a bad season at age 32. Okay, that's <laughs> probably the end for him, right? He's not going to bounce back and be the same guy. Why would he? This is when players start to age and go bad. But he did. Like he has so far. Um, and if... Like that's become a, a sort of throwaway gamble roll of the dice signing that's paid off massively for them. Um, and I think those are probably always smart to do. Like let's pick up a guy who's not going to cost much, who has insane potential, and let's see if this has been one too many, you know, one, one go around too far. Or if it was just a bad year and he was dealing with some injuries or whatever and this year he's actually going to bounce back and he's going to be one of those guys like Terrence Newman who plays till he's 38. Or whatever. Like, we could have six more years of good Casey Hayward. And you just had a bad year in the middle somewhere. Um, or it could be, like, the the harbinger of his the, his demise. There's no way of knowing until you sign him and throw him out right. there and see what happens. So, yeah, I think you should credit the Raiders for rolling that dice, for taking that chance. And, you know, there was a pretty good chance that it didn't amount to anything. But it has. And the thing that it's amounted to is, is a completely transformative uh factor in your defense because now you have a number one corner that you didn't have before 
Um, you didn't have any viable corner, let alone a number one guy. Now you have a number one guy, and all you got to try and do is figure out the rest of it. Yeah, Trayvon Mullen. That was the one. Trayvon Mullen looked like their one before the the signing. Right, of he was their Mullen number one corner essentially yeah. before that. And it was like oh, he's had some ups and ups and downs through two years, but he could fit in the system pretty well. And they're both playing pretty well. Um, on the other side, here's the the stat to watch: Derek Carr leading the NFL most passing yards on twenty plus yard throws. Chargers third fewest deep passing yards allowed, and they just played the Chiefs. Yeah, right. They played the Chiefs. They played the Cowboys. Uh, they played the football team. But they played a couple teams that can get the ball down the field. So early returns on the Chargers defense with Brandon Staley, they are doing a pretty good job of uh, avoiding the deep ball. So um, I – oh, boy. Chargers by three in this one. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to heap the praise on the Raiders so that I could pick the Chargers now. Um, I wanted to at least compliment them through three weeks. I, I'm going to pick the Chargers to win. I think it's close. I'll say the Chargers uh, cover the three, though. So here's the thing. I think that the Raiders' pass rush is being massively inflated right now because they haven't really faced any viable offensive lines. And not only have they not faced, like, even average lines, even so the Ravens would be the best line they face. But when they face the Ravens, the Ravens' left tackle was broken and couldn't play, and their right tackle was Villanueva, who can't play at right tackle. <laughs> Right. So two guys who on paper are okay gave up 19 pressures. Like the weakness of the, the Ravens offensive line is supposed to be the interior. Um, but the, the strength was a disaster in that game. So they're just beating up on this sequence of horrendous offensive lines. Now, the Chargers have a reasonable offensive line, but are currently starting Storm, Nur- Storm Norton at right tackle, who isn't good. So. Max Crosby, in particular, should still have a field day in this game. Um, and when you've got one guy just getting a ton of pressure, that's that makes a difference. So I think the Raiders might still be able to skate through a few games with just these mismatches up front. And then it's not until they face a good offensive line that we're going to get a, a handle on how good that pass rush actually is. Interesting. Are you going Raiders because of that? Yeah, mismatch I'm here? buying in. All right. Raiders to cover and win? Yeah. All right. Sam's going with the Raiders. Uh, let's go Carolina Panthers at the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are favored by four over the 3-0 and Panthers. Again, this is you know the reason why teams aren't just, you know, you don't just power rank based off of record. Vegas and anything that... Four and know, a half now. Four and a half now, okay. So it continues to go in Dallas's favor. Um, so people don't think that the Panthers, Vegas doesn't believe that the Panthers are a better team than the Cowboys. I don't believe that they're a better team. It is the first big test for the Carolina Panthers defense. I will heap praise on them as well. They've got the highest percentage of unblocked pressures per pass play. They've got the highest percentage of all pressures per pass play. Panthers are doing some nice things defensively. Sam Darnold playing some good, efficient football. We talked yesterday. He's kind of looking like we had expected. I expected, at least coming out of college. Um, so what are you looking for in this one? There's a, It's a big test for the Panthers here at 3-0. It is, yeah. Um, the, the Panthers, I think, are another one of those teams where they, they're a little bit inflated because of their, the, the teams that they've played. This is another real test for them. Dallas is a good side. Um, they, we, already, we already knew that Dallas's offense would be cooking, but their defense has taken some pretty big steps forward. Um, you know, They're not an amazing unit, but they were catastrophic a year ago, and they're definitely not that right now. So all of a sudden... Carolina's offense is going to be challenged by facing a defense that's good enough to cause some problems. And then on the other side, like that defense that's the best in the NFL right now on paper or on in uh, statistically is going up against an offense that's cooking. Like Dak Prescott, all those receiving weapons, 
the two-headed monster in the backfield of Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard, they can move the ball. Um, so this is, this is, I think, a really interesting test for them of like, does anything there, does, does all of this stuff that looks like it's happening right now actually hold up against a much better team than they've been facing? Uh, yeah, and Dak, <clears throat> Dak's playing playing pretty well as far as he's throwing the ball extremely well. A couple turnover worthy plays, I think he would want back. That's why his grade is a little bit lower. But I think the Dallas offense is what we expected. the uh, The narrative continues to be built though, because you know the one game where Dak threw the ball like crazy, they lost. The two games where they did run the ball better, and Zeke ran. I think Zeke ran hard Monday night. He looked he did. good. He, that, that was the best game I've seen from him. I was in, thinking the in same a long thing. Time. I was thinking the same thing. And I don't know if he listened to the daily like Bill Simmons <laughs> and his uh, shout out to Bill for giving us a shout out on his podcast saying, hey, you know, he was I listened to the daily where you guys yeah. you where keep, they question Tony. You keep Pollard. giving him a shout out on the show. He's not listening to, though. Well, we're going to make him listen to this show. I don't think he has time for this kind of show. Bill's no, a busy no. man. Bill doesn't have two hours to sit down and listen to the preview. No, he's a daily man. It's 10 minutes in you, and out. You don't think Bill consumes all six hours of our podcasting? I don't. Every week? I don't. I think he can deal with the dailies. Yeah. It's, it's bite size for him. He can do that when he's like having you know cereal in the morning. Yeah, big bite size guy. Right. Um, we could be there with you and your cereal and your coffee, PFF Daily, every single morning. Oh, I was wondering what you're. Okay. Yeah. What? It was just strained metaphor. So uh, can we get our team on that Nespresso sponsorship? Like we could Nespresso. They could sponsor the daily. You wake up with your Nespresso and your daily. Yeah. You're I mean, look, I use Nespresso. I'll take just a thinking out loud. I'd also like Under Armour <laughs> because I wear this shirt every two shows. Yeah. Kelly was scrolling through our shows the other day. She's like, man, you wear that green, like these, I wear this like every three shows. Yeah. You, Even though you, it's got a giant hole in it. There's not, you can sit, no, it's a tiny hole. You can't see it. You mean you can't see it? I just pointed out from across the desk. Oh. <laughs> How invisible do you think it is? I might need to retire this one. <laughs> anyway, uh, Zeke, it was, it was like he responded yeah. to the criticism of Tony Pollard's more explosive. Tony Pollard's better. Tony Pollard right now is our highest graded running back, but right. um, Zeke ran hard is the point i thought he did a really nice job this is a game where carolina's offensive line could be exposed um it hasn't been so far they've done a pretty good job papering over the cranks even though like the combination of cam irving dennis daly pat elfline are bad those guys have not been massively exposed so far as a as a problem but dallas has got some pass rushers i know they're still dealing with the without demarcus lawrence but when they have michael parsons rushing the passer that guy has such freakish athleticism that if he faces an, an offensive lineman that isn't good, he's going to kill that guy. Like yeah. He wrecked Storm Norton. And when he was facing <laughs> the Eagles, um, like he you got just... some pressure against Lane Johnson, who's a you know an all-pro right tackle. But when he was on the other side and he was going up against Andre Dillard, he was beating him easily. So, you know, whatever about if you have a really good tackle, like Taylor Moton, might be able to deal with Micah Parsons fine and, and not be a problem. But if you're Dallas and you have that kind of player, you Leave should him shift around. him the other side and say, all right, Cam Irving, let's see what you have against a guy with this kind of burst and strength and violence in his pass rush. It will be interesting to see what Dallas does when DeMarcus Lawrence is back off injured reserve. Lawrence generally rushes from the side Parsons has been on. I, of course, you could move them around. Osa Adigizu has played some pretty good football, rookie mm -hmm. third rounder. Um, they have Randy Gregory, you know, so it will be interesting to see how they deploy those pieces. Is Parsons, what does that third down package look like? Because right. Parsons could play a traditional linebacker and then be an absolute weapon as a pass rusher. Um, 
just a good all-around football player. Parsons, our highest graded rookie overall so far. There's some real value in guys that you know will beat bad mismatches. You know, really, like there are certain players that, that can only do that. And it sort of gets used as a criticism. It's like, well, he only gets his pressure against bad players. Like, yeah, but that's actually, that's not an invaluable thing. It's re I think it's really valuable. Um, and in particular, if you have, like, if it's a guarantee, if you know that this guy is going to dominate inferior competition, put him there every single snap. Like, yeah. he's going to win that matchup all the time. And the guy who might be better equipped to beat better players might not. Like, it might. it's not necessarily that the, the better player will beat the bad player to the same degree, like he might actually be better situated going against the better players. And then you have this one massive mismatch that you can just deploy all game long on a bad player. I know who you're thinking about. With the 2013 Robert Quinn season, um, Adrian Claiborne's had games like this. But if you if you can have like a 6-10 to 10 pressure game against a tackle that you just don't... That could completely demoralize the entire offense, the, the opposing offense. It can be that impactful in a one-game setting. You just have to know... Maybe you're not going to get that when you face a Lane Johnson or a Joe Thomas or whatever in the next in the next week. Um, I'm I'm buying the Dallas hype here. Um, I think Dallas comes out of this one three and one with their only loss, uh, a last second field goal to the Bucks, and we're talking about the Cowboys in the Super Bowl conversation again. Dak, again, I think Dak is playing well. I think there are some hidden plays in there that people might be not seeing or whatever. You know the. Fumble in the end zone he could have avoided, didn't feel pressure all that well. There are some negative plays in there that Dak needs to cut out. But overall, he's throwing the ball extremely well. And um, I've been impressed with Dallas's defense, as you said, coming back. Trayvon Diggs maybe becoming a star before our eyes. So I'm expecting some Carolina regression. But man, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Darnold in a bit more of a test here. Yeah, I my priors for Carolina this season dictate that I have to say they'll lose this game. But I actually do think they're better than I thought they were, um, in particular on defense. So I think they're going to cover. So I'm going back to the well with the uh, the underdog covering but losing. Okay. I'll take Dallas covering and, and winning. Uh, J.C. Horn out for the season again. They bring in C.J. Henderson. I, I want to see how long that, that cornerback group can hold up. Tough test here with Dallas. Uh, Cleveland Browns at the Minnesota Vikings. The Browns are favored by two here on the road against the Vikings. Vikes coming off their first win, beating the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Browns are two and one. They beat up on the well. They they beat the Texans. They beat up on the Bears mm. last week, and they lost the heartbreaker to the Kansas City Chiefs. So far, it looks like the Browns are who we thought they were. This is kind of wild line, though. Given that, like the Browns are two and one, they're only lost against Kansas City, I and mean, in a game they had won and threw away themselves. Like Kansas City, Kansas City beat the Browns less than the Browns beat the Browns in that game. I would say. Um, and that's their only loss going up against Minnesota Vikings team that was almost 0-3, but for beating up on Seattle. Like you are, and, and yet the just, line is only two. You're Minnesota pessimist. like Minnesota's so close to three and oh. Right? Are they? Yeah. I mean, how close are they? A heartbreaker in overtime against the Bengals. The Bengals, yeah. Uh-huh. And then the Arizona game. Uh -huh. was tight and back and forth and crazy and they missed a field goal to win it yeah i'm just they're I'm, literally i mean they're, dalvin cook fumbled in overtime against the Bengals, and they missed a field goal that was so close the minnesota what what's his face you thought it went in the minnesota what's his face the, the, the radio guy paul allen paul allen yeah. cheered that it went in in paul allen's <laughs> head minnesota's two and one that's how yeah. close they are i just like so the Browns are the number seven team on PFF ELO rankings right now. Minnesota's 20. The Browns are number two on offense. Minnesota's 10. 
the difference on defense is 5-18. to 18. I'm just surprised that this isn't a bigger line in Cleveland's favor. <sighs> Vikings are good. They're going to – because, man, the more I watch Justin Jefferson, he is just so good. He yeah. is so good. And when you have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, um, you know, the, the top-heavy – statement that i made about seattle probably applies here because if you lose one of those guys which they did last year for a little bit you lose jefferson or thielen it definitely hurts the offense but man when they are out there they're going to move the ball they're going to create offense kirk is as accurate as any quarterback in the nfl right now cousins grading well they're going to move the ball my question is the bread is as bad as the bears were offensively the browns defensive front deserves credit i mean jadavian Clowney looked explosive we know what miles garrett did uh, Malik McDowell up there, JOK running around and blitzing and the whole thing. Can Is this the game where the, the Vikings offensive line from a pass blocking standpoint comes back to bite against the Browns front? Yes. Um, the Vikings have Rashad Hill at left tackle, who's not good, and he's been hurt during the week. So if he plays, it's a problem. If he doesn't play, Christian Darasaw plays, and that's probably a problem as well. Uh, not because Christian Darrisaw, you know, is a bad prospect or any of the things we talked about. At, you know, how much do they really love him given they traded back? Is he healthy now? But because he's a rookie and this will be his first NFL action, he's going up against Miles Garrett. Like, whatever, however good you expect him to be in future, this is probably a losing proposition for him. Um, I, that line is still a major issue and they're going up against a defensive front that just laid waste to the Chicago it's, Bears offense. Garrett's also going to face Ezra Cleveland, Ole Udo, the two guards. I mean, they, the, the Browns do a nice job of deploying Garrett uh, all over the place. Ole has been pretty good, by the way. He has. By but, the way, he was sitting on this team all last year, and they persisted with Drew Samia and Dakota Dozier all season long, despite both those guys getting their ass handed to them on a weekly basis. He's been pretty good. Small sample so far. But anyway, I, is this a shootout, man? The the Browns haven't thrown the ball a ton, but they, they run the ball extremely well. They could... I mean, put points on the board. The most interesting thing about this game is that it's essentially the two, they're the same system. Like this is the Vikings and then uh, Stefanski's offense, which came from the Vikings, and it's the same thing. Like in theory, these are the two same offenses. It's Kirk Cousins versus Baker Mayfield, and it's like for like. Um, I was going to put in my notes uh, the Spider-Man emoji thing, uh, Spider-Man meme. Yeah. Right? Because, uh, you know, we made the point, has Baker, has Baker settled in to Kirk, to being Kirk? ish which isn't a knock it's just you're at the Kirk Cousins inflection point aren't you right now the Browns have to figure out if they're going to sign re-sign Baker there are some very clear similarities between Baker and Kirk Cousins right now but there are also some massive differences like Baker has that you know teammates love him Moxie the guy will run 60 yards to celebrate with his running back as he scampers into the end zone thing and then you know versus Kirk Completely different skill sets, too. And also, that as thing far as of, like Baker's got a cannon, Kirk just kind of touch thrower, you know. Different. And also, Baker, he might not be great under pressure, but at least you know that if somebody lays a hand on him, he might escape it rather than just fall over. I don't know. You're downplaying Kirk. Dude's playing well. He's playing great. well, but he is the least escapable human being on the face of the earth. True. Baker is like every other time. Yes. Sometimes you can't make. It's not always good. I mean, yeah, move it, it doesn't week. always go well, but at least like. There's something depressing about watching a quarterback where you know that the second he's touched in the pocket, he's going down. Like, it's not the play is over. Whereas Baker Mayfield, the second he's touched, it could go anywhere from like, okay, he's going to get sacked to he's going to spin out of it, throw an interception, 
to he's going to spin out of it, run, or you know, throw a bomb deep down the field. There's a wide spectrum of things that can still happen on the play even after somebody grabs a fistful of his jersey. Is this a game where Odell Beckham goes 10, 12 catches against the Vikings' corners? Odell Beckham, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Rashard Higgins. Uh, the, the Browns have done a really good job of spreading the ball around. They've got like nine guys with over 50 receiving yards or whatever that number is. Like they're spreading the ball a ton. Tight ends, backs, run, uh, receivers. I wonder if this is a receiver-driven game against this, the way the Vikings' corners are playing. But yeah, those corners. So Brashad Breland is currently giving up a pass rating of 157. Uh, Patrick Peterson, 158, which is perfect. He is 0.1 away from giving up a perfect passer rating this season. It's 157.9. Incredible. Uh, which is actually, I mean, <laughs> where do you even get that 10th of a percentage for? <laughs> Whatever. A nice 40-yard uh, touchdown will get you there probably. Mackenzie Alexander, 118.8. The only guy that isn't getting ripped to pieces is Cameron Dancer, who can't get on the field who's been targeted five times because he's in the doghouse. Looking for a trade. Yeah. I mean, rightly so, right? The dude, he should be playing because the people ahead of him are not giving you a reason to keep him on the bench. And the reasons he's being given for being kept on the bench is like you don't play special teams and you're not a cover for like whatever. He's probably your best corner. Put him out there. The, um, uh, the matchup on the other side is good though too. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen versus uh, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom playing Newsom's pretty well, playing well as a rookie. Um, we'll see. The, the Browns like to play that four high, that quarters-y shell where they give away the underneath stuff. That is what the Vikings did to pick apart the Seahawks last week. So we'll see if the if the Browns get a little bit more aggressive, try to force the Vikings to, to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. Potentially no Dalvin Cook again. So Alexander yeah. Madison season. Again. Again, again. Just rack him up 25 carries. It's a good running trucking. All right. What do you like here? Cleveland by how much? <laughs> yeah. Cleveland and covering. I'll take it. I'll leave it at that. Minnesota wins this game. Get out of it. Minnesota wins and obviously covers the the two. Uh, Indianapolis at the Dolphins. Dolphins favored by two. Jacoby Brissett, revenge game against the Colts. The Colts are uh, they're, they're looking at 0-4 here. Potentially. They have one of the easiest schedules remaining, but it doesn't matter if you're not good. True. And uh, the Colts, yeah, I think the – as much as we talk about Wentz and look, the offensive line has been horrible. Uh, Wentz holds the ball, you know, half a second longer than Phillip Rivers, so it you know exacerbates that a little bit. They have not covered they, the defense has been bad. Hmm. Defense has been bad, and now they're down. Quiddy Pay uh, probably questionable with a hamstring injury, but a hamstring injury they took him out of the game immediately, put him out uh, out of the game, and a week to come back from that feels optimistic. So I would say probably not playing. Uh, yeah, that that the defense has been bad. The offensive line, the thing about that offensive line is they haven't had the healthy five yet. Like on right. paper, their starting five is a really good offensive line, maybe the best in the NFL. They have yet to have that starting five there. And all we've seen so far is that like, when they their starting five is great, their depth is not. And the second they have to turn to the depth, they're in trouble. And they've had to turn to the depth every single game so far this season. Um, it's also going to be interesting to see how mobile Carson Wentz is after like the hobbled version of busted ankles he was on last week because that was kind of painful to watch. And then obviously as a lifelong uh, Jacoby Brissett fan since last week, I will be intrigued to see how he plays. You can't wait to see. I mean, see if he throws the ball down the field a little bit more. Jalen Waddell, the rookie receiver, had 12 catches for 56 yards. Yeah, at least eight of which were all the same play. Little shallow crosses. Uh -huh. it, uh, it was... I mean, yeah, the 
the negative yard catch too in the end zone for the yeah. for the safety, which hurt. Which somebody tried to blame him for. That was pretty harsh. No. That um, was just slow and, and bad. Yeah. Uh, the Colts have allowed pressure. So again, it's, you know, the quarterback holds the ball, that invites pressure. But they've allowed quick pressure in under 2.5 seconds. 33% of passing plays. That's third worst in the NFL. Now, second worst in the NFL is the Dolphins at 34%. So both of these teams are allowing a high percentage of pressure, but also a high percentage of quick pressure. <laughs> but the, the difference being, like, for the Dolphins, it's because their entire offensive line is bad. For the Colts, it's because they have one train wreck of a guy at each each game. And it tends to switch between left or right. But there's one guy getting his ass kicked every week. Uh, for Miami, that one guy is the, all five of them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Colts, you know, they're still banged up. Uh, Quentin Nelson, he's not going to play, right? He's out. Questionable. For, he's questionable? I thought almost certainly he was out for a few weeks, right, with that injury. Really a high ankle sprain? Is he going to? Well, this is a man that came back from five for, from having a bone taken out of his foot in five weeks and looked fine. Yeah. Can't question the man's recoverability. Braden Smith also questionable. So, like, if Braden Smith plays, they've got everybody back. But, and Nelson. Yeah. Like, and, you know, Eric Fisher. two questionable players. And play. But, I'm, yeah, if Braden Smith and Nelson are back, that's their starting five. Um, but Fisher off to a slow start coming off of his, his injury. Mark Lewinsky got Aaron Donald, so his grade's in the 40s. Uh, Julian Davenport, you don't want him to play, but as of now, he'll probably be playing right tackle if Braden Smith can't go. Um, who do you like in this one? I think the Dolphins cornerbacks have a chance to really lock down these Colts receivers. Look, when in doubt, you go with the better quarterback. And as we all know, Jacoby Reset is is clearly the better quarterback here oh man i don't like it i'm doing i'm going miami too i i, I do think that look if, if the colts if they don't have their starting five offensive line healthy and carson wentz is still hobbling around in two busted ankles they're in trouble on offense and their defense has been giving up big plays i do like miami all right we're both taking miami to cover the two <clears throat> detroit at chicago bears are favored by three only three wow what do you mean Lions? only three? Did you see their game last week? Yeah. If they were favored to score three points, it's a result from last week. But the Lions defense, they got if, if Marquise Brown catches the ball, this defense gets thrashed again. Yeah. Because they're the Ravens. They're not the Bears. Oh, I don't know. So Bears are definitely I mean, they're gonna look better offensively, right? Are they still giving the Lions Matt Lion Nagy first play under center? Are Play they, action, bootleg, guaranteed. Are they still giving the line that all three quarterbacks are in, are in, are in uh, the oh, reckoning to start? on that. Like, that can't be real at this point in the week, right? I mean, they probably haven't told anybody anything different, but I'm sure that was never actually, I hope it was never actually a serious thing. Andy Dalton was limited in Wednesday's practice. I mean, it, you want Justin Fields to probably play against this Lions defense. Yeah, I mean, if Justin Fields plays and it looks the same as last week, you need to just put him in bubble wrap and forget this season. If Justin Fields plays and plays well, I'm not actually sure that tells you anything other than you need a team as bad as Detroit for him to be viable. So it makes next week a difficult conversation because suddenly that the defensive fronts get nasty again. Um, it might sound weird because the Lions did allow Lamar to have about eight and a half seconds in the pocket on that fourth and 19, but Lions pass rushing grade is seventh in the NFL so yeah. far. Like they're, they're getting, not terrible, but they they're don't doing have, a pretty good job. Of yeah, that. they're not terrible, but if you can't block this, this defensive front for a, 
at least a viable period of time, then you, I mean, you've no business playing at this point. Like the, I think the game plan for Justin Fields was bad last week, but I don't think the problem was that they're, you know, they weren't moving him enough in the pocket or they were running the wrong protections. It was just, they were completely overmatched and they didn't try and offset it by giving him anywhere to go with the ball. So Justin Fields, who we've talked about before, will skew towards holding on to the ball longer than he should anyway. In addition to that, didn't have any quick outlets to go somewhere when his players are getting beaten. And all of them were getting beaten pretty quickly and pretty regularly. So he was just on a hiding to nothing. He just didn't have any shot in that game. Now, if that's the same, if that happens in this game, he shouldn't make it beyond halftime because there's just no purpose to it. We talk about attacking players all the time as far as uh, game planning goes. Bobby Price. 6'4", cornerback, 205 pounds. It was an undrafted free agent in 2020. Did not play a defensive snap last year. Uh, is now starting corner for the Lions. He's played all right so far through two games, but like, I'd have I'd have some stuff for Allen Robinson to match up with Bobby Price and go, you know, attack matchups as much as possible. Uh, all you could pull, you can when when you have a Justin Fields game. Everybody can see whatever they want to see. If you want to create a Matt Nagy narrative, you just you write the article, it's all Matt Nagy's fault. If you were of the minds that Justin Fields held the ball too long and it was going to be detrimental in the NFL, you had enough fodder too. Again, all of those things are true. Um, the Bears need to figure out how to make all those little pieces better. What's, gonna, what's good for Justin Fields? How do we use our playmakers? How do we protect our offensive line? How do we tap into Justin Fields' skill set? Like, all of those answers, they need to have them this week, right now, or else it doesn't get any easier for yeah. Fields. I, I mean, I think the thing that escapes everybody last week is that the game flow torpedoed so much of what they were trying to do because it was just a constant run of three and outs. Like right. they got nothing going. They were so overmatched that there was never a time to see anything happening. Like bam, bam, third and 12, three and out, done. Well, what the hell did we get out of that drive? Like, what was working? What wasn't? Well, nothing worked. So what do you change? Uh, I don't know. Like, you run one bootleg and there's a dude waiting for him and pens him back in the pocket and it's like a five-yard loss. Third and 15. Now we're three and out again. Punted away. Like, what did, do we not? We're on a bootleg again? Or like, what do we learn from that? How are so, people allowed to create narratives on TV when they're like, they ran one bootleg in the first half. Like, yeah, they, they dropped back nine times. Right. So 11% of the time, which is double the NFL average, they ran a bootleg. And and it should be 11%, or it should be double the NFL average because you're talking about trying to lean into a guy like Justin Fields. But yeah, like how much do you want that to happen based off nine dropbacks? Because remember, it's not when you're talking about these small numbers, it isn't just the the number of dropbacks. It's that we are because you're going three and out every single time, these are bad third downs. They're not third downs where you can do you know, some weird RPO stuff that's only going to get you four yards because it's third and 12. Right. Like that, those things go out the window at that point. So you're facing an incredibly small number of plays, which are almost all bad situations because nothing is functioning. People who think that the, the, the rollout offense is going to save things. I mean, again, that is literally a handful of plays. Right. But so like, I, I mean, in my brain, I was like, the one thing I would do in this game is run a lot more quick game stuff with Justin Fields. But even you look at the numbers and they ran quick game eight out of 30 dropbacks despite 
the bad situation. So they actually ran a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Well, you it just say, didn't have time to function. There was a play action pass where he had an over route. So you'd say run more play action. Well, he had one. He missed the he missed it. Right. When they ran quick game, he threw it right to JOK. Now JOK made a great play for the Browns. He was probably in a spot where he shouldn't have been. Yeah. And then he had an underneath route where he just missed. I mean, again, Fields was I, as much to blame right. when they called decent plays as well. Uh, yeah, I do. I don't think that the game plan was good, but I think almost every analysis of it is massively overselling how bad a job it was when you look at the, the circumstances involved in the whole thing. Like they were just completely overmatched and it showed up in every single area. Like people were legitimately claiming that that was a deliberately bad game plan so that Matt Nagy could be like, see, I told you he wasn't ready. Now let me play the guy I want to play. Like that's asinine as an analysis of what that that's an analysis of somebody that wasn't actually watching what was happening, let me, but was just watching how bad it looked. Let me pose this question to you. Let's, let's dig into this for a second. I know we're tight on time, but I was talking to Dr. Eager off air and I think Eric and I think other people want to like Justin Fields hmm. and want to put the blame on the coach. Of course. So he posed the question, were we wrong about Trubisky? Right? So there are, as, as good as the PFF grade is at isolating quarterback play, there's obviously some dependency on the right. play Justin caller. Fields sucked week one. It, we're blaming Matt Nagy. Therefore, we need to reassess whether Trubisky was good. That's crazy to me. Yes. Right? Now, I now I agree that if Nagy's not good and Trubisky graded poorly and you put Trubisky with Sean McVay, maybe Trubisky would have played better, right? Sure. There is some dependency there. But I'm still of the mind until proven otherwise that Matt Nagy won a ton of football games despite Mitchell Trubisky, who missed far more throws than anyone else, put the ball in harm's way more than anyone else, and that they won despite Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And that Nagy actually deserves some level of credit for that i'm not ready to undo that after one game of justin fields well particularly because again i think anybody asking that or anybody saying this was a deliberately bad game plan or saying this was like obnoxiously uh naive or incompetent as a game plan is just not actually looking at the, the game and how it was unfolding around him there are definitely things that they could have done better but you can't just say well, this is obvious. This, none of this was working, so you changed this thing. Like, that's what you did wrong. Because you're dealing with this in three plays at a time and then punt and reassess. Like, what did you learn from the three and out where all three plays went to hell? Nothing. Yeah. Like, you don't know what to change. You don't know which button fixes the seven things that went wrong in the last three plays. It isn't this, this easy, simple, like, well, that's clearly where you went wrong. And that was so obvious that he must be trying to throw the game. Like, that's just insane. Everything was bad. Yes, everything. Game now, the question line, is, fields, receivers. is everything bad again against the Lions? I think they'll look better. I will pretend last week didn't happen, and I will go <laughs> with my same take on Justin Fields. There will be some ugly that looked like last week. He'll take a few sacks. He'll hold the ball too long sometimes. He will also, this week, make a few spectacular plays that will remind you that he is very talented, an excellent thrower of the football, um, it's tough to be an excellent throw over the football when you're not completely confident in everything you're seeing right now. I think we see that so far in fields. I think it'll be better this week. All that said, I made the statement that Jared Goff is uh, tank proof. And this is one of those games where I think Goff plays well enough against a Bears defense that's been up and down here. So I think I'm going to take the Lions to cover the three and to win on the road. Oh, damn it. You're going to do that. In Chicago. You could do it too.
You could be on the bandwagon. Oh, Come on. It's going to take the Lions to win. I think they've played so we, we, teams we're, we're both taking the Lions to win, yeah. All right. I think they've played teams tougher than anybody expected right. them to. Feisty kneecap fighters is what they, they are. are. Go Lions. They, uh, are, York- they are, unfortunately, the 32nd ranked team in PFF's low ranking. So... It's not great. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not. It doesn't look good on paper. Also, the thirty-second ranked defense, which doesn't help. Dan the, uh... Campbell is elevating them. That's the thing. Oh yeah, thirty-second in talent. Dan Campbell is elevating them so far. Uh, New York Giants at the New Orleans Saints, seven and a half for the Saints here. Jameis Coaster is high. The Jameis Coaster is high. It's coming back down. They're back in the dome, right? I was going to ask. Are they like back home now? They're at least there. I think they're playing in the dome. Way to, way to know this stuff. Yeah. Are the Saints <laughs> at home this week? Just just hold tight, live <laughs> YouTube crowd. Just chill. There'll be a search engine replying in a minute. Yeah, it doesn't, That's how that works. doesn't give me a good answer. No? That's a shame. They're going to be back home at this point. It's October. Anyway, they're at home. I'm pretty sure they're at home. Uh, seven and a half. Is that too much for the Jameis Coaster? Look, you said it last week that just... You should never bet on Jameis. It's, it's too wild. It Eric could go was anywhere. convincing me the other thing. It's like the value matches what people last saw. So there's like yeah, he was convinced it's like it's a sharp thing to do is to bet on Jameis. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not having it. No, because who the heck wants to watch that? You don't know. Like, I just don't. Want, here's my question. Here's my. I don't want my money riding on Jameis Winston in any direction. I haven't tweeted it yet, but like my big question is when he makes this throw yeah. this week. What's the result? Put your predictions in the YouTube chat. <laughs> when Jameis makes a throw that looks like this. When he's throwing one from falling week. over horizontally, is it being caught by a defender, an attacker, or nobody? Yeah. Or the official? Completed, interception, incomplete, for, first row of the stands. Like, Where is it going? Want to know in the chat where that pass is going when Jameis throws it this week. I can't wait. Uh, Giants are another team, though, man. They're close to winning. They're close. Yeah. To win in some games. Are they better than we think? Daniel Jones is playing some good football. Is he going to keep it up? He's got the most completions 10-plus yards down the field. Honestly, the that's NFL. the thing to watch in this game is how Daniel Jones does against the Saints defense, which is good. Um, and they've got players back. Like, Daniel Jones is playing – they're in a really weird spot, the Giants, because they're probably not going to be very good this season. Um, and it turns out it's not just the offensive line. There's some other problems there as well. But they might come out of this year with a kind of – a clean house type of results sheet, you know, where it's like, this is bad enough that we need to drop kick everybody out of this building and start over. But with a quarterback that took a big step forward, has, you know, number six overall former pedigree and has taken a fairly like consistent st- like d- step ahead in every year of his career. And I don't know what they do with that because he still probably won't be good enough. We are hundred percent convinced that he's the guy to lead a franchise forward if you're pressing the reset button anyway. But does he become like a bridge quarterback to somebody that they draft in the first round? Like what happens to Daniel Jones at that point? Because he's playing really quite good right now. It's the second straight year of playing better than his production. Yes, which is the other problem going against him, right? Is even if he continues at this level and the stats stay the same, he's not going to get the credit for it. So, but then you're either sitting on a, on a hidden asset where he has developed and you're and when you do have a better offensive line uh things <clears throat> things will work out I, I will also say i think we've seen flashes of the giants 
offseason strategy of building the basketball team of playmakers. I think we've seen elements of that paying off with with Darius Slayton when he catches the ball down the field being a deep threat and Galladay making some plays and Sterling Shepard making some plays. I think Shepard's banged up, right? And Kadarius Tony might see some time here. That needs to happen, by the way, because Kadarius Tony, when you watch his tape, is freaking dynamic, and they just aren't. He's just not a part of the offense at the moment. I mean, that's the other part. Too. He had two I, catches. Jason last... Garrett doesn't have a history of yeah elevating offense. He had here. two catches last week that were like nothing plays, and then each one he made like an incredible move immediately after catching it, made a dude miss and gained like an extra couple of yards. Now neither of them went far, but like. How can you look at that and go dynamism? You've yeah. Seen it. How can you look at that and be like, I mean, I don't really care about getting this guy the ball. Yeah, whatever. If he gets it, he gets it. If not, we'll, we'll move on. But that dude should be getting force fed some carries or some touches because he's a weapon with the ball in his hands. Um, all of their receivers are questionable, by the way. I mean, it's Galladay, <laughs> Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. They're all questionable. And this is the other thing working against Daniel Jones. He'd had another fumble in the pocket. I mean, that's. In his three, two plus yeah, look, years here, those are the things that he he's needs not to perfect. Clean up. He's got some weaknesses, but he is taking, he is developing in a consistent way. Like if you were of the, the Josh Allen is displaying clear evidence of getting better year on year camp, you kind of have to be of the same opinion of Daniel Jones. Now, I'm not saying there's a Josh Allen leap in here. Like it's one, he, we're just waiting for him to play at a 90 overall grade level for an entire year, maybe. Maybe Daniel Jones doesn't have that in him. But if you drafted this guy in the top 10 and he's taking, he's getting better every single season and it's not like he's ever had the best help around him. Here's, here's what you're seeing though. He's got the third highest, highest grade under pressure this year. Uh, passing grade, 80.1. Those are the things I liked about him, right? My, my thing was he will make these plays under pressure. When you hit the high end of volatility, you'll have this because he's willing to do it. But you need the you, you need the pass catchers, you need the defense. I mean, you need these other things to put it all together. He has a higher passer rating under pressure right now that he does get clean. So those always. those are the things that scream regression. Sure. And you said he's going to grade over eighty this year. I think we bet lunch on it. Mm -hmm. So far, you're doing a good job. I think he'll he'll come back down to earth. Uh, Saints. If I like the Saints in this one, seven and a half is that too much? Giants playing a lot of teams tight. Nope. Close. Saints win. They roll. You think it's the big the big return and yeah. emotion and mm -hmm. so the Saints dud in week two. So when we come out of this, they had a dud in week two. Do we just chalk it up to the weirdness of eight that guys week for them? Eight coaches not being there, being on the road, so missing players. COVID. And, you know, really good Carolina defense. I'll take the Giants to cover. Saints to win. Huh. People um, don't like that. I want to see the Saints. Uh, Saints defensive backs, though. Again, they're they're doing a good job on the back end against these Giants receivers if they play. We'll see who plays for the Giants. Uh, WFT, Washington football team WFT. at the Atlanta Falcons. The uh, football team's favored by one against the Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. Fal the football team hasn't stopped anybody. These are the two teams. I, I, I was looking through but, all the But teams. it's Atlanta. What? But it's Atlanta. Yeah, I know. These are the two. I was looking through the stats. These are the two teams that are worst on however you slice it 10 plus yard throws, 20 plus yard. I mean, they're the worst defensively so far. The Falcons haven't completed a pass 20 plus yards in the air. So something's got to give here. Something's this is when I'm taking it. I'm going Atlanta here. Like, what? there's no Why? way Matt Ryan is not this bad, isn't he? He's not this bad. He's old. I know. I, I'm just, I'm just anti cliff stuff even 
<laughs> despite a lot of evidence. Even with clip. evidence. I'm yeah. anti-cliff uh, evidence. Not even Matt Ryan <laughs> evidence. Just like other people evidence. No, I'm not. The quarterbacks hit the cliff all the time. Drive right I, over. I try it. to push back because I think people use it too much. Like Brady threw a pick six. There's the cliff. Like, no, you idiot. It's a throw. There is a lot of evidence that Ben Roethlisberger is uh, is driving towards is currently a big is, slope. Ben Roethlisberger is currently in the front seat of the bus, right? Hands at the wheel as he hurdles vertically towards the cliff bottom. Right, he's like fifty feet over the edge at this point, just flying merrily towards the ocean, the rocks at the bottom. Yeah, like he's he's over the cliff. There's no coming back from this at this point. And through three games, I think Matt Ryan just like drove through the roads close sign. Okay, like, don't drive through here. He's only encroaching upon the, the cliff face. He's not there yet. Yeah, because there's evidence. Uh, the arm doesn't look great. The the footwork and response to pressure from Matt Ryan, especially you know last week against the Giants, you saw it was was pretty poor. Uh, back foot throws and the in, in various things like that. All that said, in the dome, I think Matt Ryan throws the ball a little bit better. Okay. And I think you cannot hold Calvin Ridley and uh, the guy. Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. My goodness. Their first round pick. They can't hold both of these guys down. Remember when, time. yeah, Matt Ryan hasn't played inside yet. Um, oh, he did it first game, first week. Eagles. Are oh, yeah, right. It was that. It was a home. Uh, and they were dinking and ducking like crazy against the Eagles zone defense. I think they'll. They'll attack more this week. Yeah, I just think the Falcons are pretty bad. Uh, I think they're wasting Kyle Pitts, who was a potential game-changing weapon for them on offense. Uh, I also think that Washington is not as bad as they've looked so far. Like, if if the narrative on Washington was, hey, they're going to be worse this season because they're facing better teams, once they face a bad team, they go back to looking really good. So this is the bad team. They're going to go back to looking good. Heineke's not going to throw the ball to defenders as much as he did last week. Agree with that, yeah. And make some plays. And the defense is still getting a decent amount of pressure. They just can't stop anybody on the back end. So if they're getting pressure against Matt Ryan, that's all she wrote. That's all I need to see. I think it's a, I think it's a shootout. I think it's a Heineke versus Matt Ryan shootout this week. Matt Ryan turns back the clock. I'll take the Falcons. Falcons home underdogs, man. I don't know. I, I'm going to take that. Um, the football team, I think I mentioned it on yesterday's show, another interesting dynamic. Their pass rush is getting pressure. I mean, they're yeah. getting, they're winning, mm -hmm. right? They have one of the highest pass rush grades, bottom four coverage grade. That is the different dynamic from last year. I do think eventually those converge more as the season goes. I think if they continue to win up front, even though they're not getting home, they're not getting sacks as much, but if they continue to win, that will help the coverage unit, and they will. Their defense has got some weird numbers right now, it like does. in terms of they are they have missed the fewest amount of tackles in the NFL, but they're also like abysmal on third downs. They can't stop. Like they've got some absolutely bizarre statistics that shouldn't that shouldn't be able to coexist in the same data set. And again, they're going to play a difficult run of QBs. And maybe you looked at the schedule and said Matt Ryan's one of them, but through three weeks, he's uh, not. He's not. But I think he gets back on track. I'll take the Falcons. You'll take the football team. Uh, two more games. Houston Texans at the Buffalo Bills, Sam. Bills are favored by 16. 16. <sighs> what do you think Warren Moon and Houston does at Buffalo here? Warren Moon. I think, they've, uh, think they can hold a 30-point Somebody lead. tweeted me. Damn it, I should have kept his name. Uh, Warren Moon and Tom Brady's careers overlapped. Warren Moon was drafted in 1978 or something ridiculous. When did Moon? He finished in, what, 2000? Yeah. 
He was with Kansas City. I know in 99. Was he there again in 2000? I think so. That's great. Uh, Tom, Car Everybody's doing like the old Brady stories this week. Tom Carr in New England beat. He found like Tom Brady's first apartment and like his roommates from the year 2000 and all this stuff. He bought an apartment from uh, Ty Law like as a sixth round QB4. Brady's like, oh yeah, I'll buy the, buy the apartment. I'll be here. Hmm. So they're interviewing his old teammates how they played Tecmo Bowl in this whole thing. Back when Warren Moon was playing. Yeah. Back in 2000. Yeah, what a career. Guy drafted in 1978 had his career overlap with Tom Brady. I, I don't know how much I want to spend on this game. <laughs> the, Bills, the Bills defense has been fantastic. Uh, they have not given up a pass of 20-plus yards in the air. So just like the Falcons haven't completed one, the Bills are the only team to not allow one. Now, uh, they faced Big Ben. They faced Tua slash Jacoby Brissett. And then they faced Taylor Heineke last week. So, you know, take it for whatever it's worth. But the Bills defense is playing really well. They got Davis Mills coming in. First road start for the rookie. So, all right, last is week. Is 16 enough? Yeah, last week was depressing. The Texans playing on Thursday night. Davis Mills, like, I don't want any part of this game. I don't need to see Davis Mills. I have no interest in what he can achieve at the next level. Davis Mills did enough in that game that I am now at least vaguely interested in watching him play another game of football. How's he that? He made like four good throws. Sam. Which is way more than I would have given him credit for going into that game. It's all game. about expectations. Yes. So he has at least outperformed my expectations to the point where I am vaguely intrigued in seeing him play another game, which is not something I would have anticipated. In Buffalo? Against the Bills? Yeah. I mean, I expected to go worse than it did last time, but still, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm taking the Bills to cover, man. I mean, uh, cover 16? Yes. I don't think it's enough. <laughs> Where do you think the line should be? 19. I don't 19. Know. More than 16. It's right. not enough. I'll take Buffalo. You get you get the cover two defense that Josh Allen's just going to sit in the pocket and, and pick apart. I mean, maybe that's the one thing, right? That's the the strategy we always talk about with, with Allen sitting yeah. zone and make him make plays. There's a brave 2% of people that are putting cash on the uh, Houston money line. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the uh the beached whale game dead whale exploding whale it wouldn't though because it doesn't it's not that doesn't work for that metaphor it's the game though where every year there's a game where there's literally not a single shred of evidence that says team x can win and they do that somehow. was buffalo was the team was it Allen's rookie year, they were 0-2, Vikings were 2-0. Yeah, yeah. And they went in 17-point right. dogs or something right. like that. Murdered them. Crushed uh, the Vikings. With like, with, that was Josh Allen like leaping all the way over Anthony, Anthony Barr or something, right? Um, yeah, like this is a game where there's, there's nothing you could point to that says Houston should win this game. And every, every year that happens every now and again. So that'd be an exploding whale. No, the exploding whale is like a once great leviathan Falling on hard times, languishing up on the beach, building up toxic fumes until eventually somebody pokes it with a stick and the whole thing explodes and destroys that poor unfortunate one last time. It goes down in one final blaze of glory. Oh, so the Texans have never been high enough. Correct. Okay. The Falcons a couple years ago when they were the... Yes. Okay. It's a good metaphor. It is. And you're butchering it. That's what I do. I'm just metaphors. Don't <laughs> play. Don't, you know, don't play with fire. You don't understand how this thing, this, this works. Stay in your lane, Steve. Adrian's saying that we're, we're lo we love to hate on the Texans. I I apologize. We don't love to hate on the Texans. I don't think they have a great football roster. <laughs> they are um, they are also giving up the highest percentage of quick pressure, and the Bills' pass rush has been really good these last couple of years. 
Um, one other thing in the Bill Belichick book, the the book about Belichick and Brady and all that stuff. There's a little bit about Bill O'Brien, how he was hoping to be the next Patriots coach. I, I don't like to give all the I'm giving all this secondhand stuff. You spoiling the book? No, ESPN spoiled it. They gave all of these bullet points oh. on their website. Okay. To so sell you, the book. you haven't read this thing yet. No, the book's not out until October. I thought you might have got a, an advanced copy. You're not media. No, I'm getting all these emails for advanced copies of books I want no part of. I don't know how I got on that email <laughs> list. Like you're on the word of the day list. I don't want the advanced copy. This one would be interesting, I guess. So you do want the advanced copy. Who is oh. it? It's Seth, Seth Wickersham, right? Yes. Seth probably listens. Seth, send Steve a copy. We'll, we'll, yeah, well, we'll plug. we're already plugging it. Belichick's already denying things that are in the book because it's all secondhand discussion. So uh-huh. you know, some questionable, who knows? But Bill O'Brien apparently said he wanted to get fired in Houston, which, you know, I don't know which point he said he wanted to get fired, but maybe somewhere around the DeAndre Hopkins trade or some of the <laughs> other moves that were made along the way. Bill probably listens to the show too. I don't, I don't know. I am always amazed at the number of people who either like reference so, something that we say. Yeah, and tell it's us not so much listen. the number. It's the, the, the specific individuals who you're like, oh, the types of people that, that person listens, the mm-hmm. type. Yeah. The various types of people who listen like yeah. meme guy, we, meme guy listens. And, you know, people in front offices, you know, it's all over the place. Yeah. Love you, meme guy. He had a good one on you, right, the other day? Rookie quarterbacks? Yeah. Was that a direct quote? Yeah. You said that. <laughs> Sometimes I miss your your great quotes when I'm just trying to uh, do quick research here. I th- the other problem the Texans have working against him in this game, by the way, is that whatever you think about David Culley, he's made a couple of massive errors in the course of, like, game flow. And if, you know, you're 16-point underdogs trying desperately to steal an edge here or there, you can't be, like, oh, making the wrong gonna... call on fourth down and, you know, those kinds of things. No, they're definitely going to view it the other way and be like, man, we got we got to pin Josh Allen deep. Yeah, we, we got to tighten it up. got to punt. Take it away. The trust your here. defense. Got to trust the defense. I'm just saying that, like, he's making some decisions that are objectively incorrect at the moment, and that's not going to help. Bills take another step closer to what we thought they were going to be and a step further away from their week one loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers, covering the 16. Let's wrap it up here. Is this the last game? Yeah. Tennessee Titans at the New York Jets. Uh, Titans could be without. Are there 16? Who's on bye? Is there a bye this week? I don't know. Did I miss a game? There's 15 games here. Just make sure you didn't miss any. Uh-oh. Um, there is a, quite, uh, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Both both receivers might not play here in this game for the Titans. So Pittsburgh Green Bay. We haven't done that, right? Oh, that's dude, what I trusted you. We have seven minutes now. There you go. It's in. For both of those. Um, so we won't spend as much time on Tennessee and the Jets. <laughs> I will say the Jets, um, another team on paper where the secondary shouldn't be all that good. They've only given up 11 passes on 10-plus yard throws. It's pretty decent. Uh, Robert Sala's fingerprints already on that defense. At some point, I think Zach Wilson will stop throwing two and three interceptions per game or four interceptions per game. Um, He's shown flashes. I think he could have a little bit of success against this Tennessee defense. The Tennessee defense also finally got pressure against Carson Wentz. I think they'll get pressure a little bit against the Jets. All the Jets receivers are out. Um, If they don't activate Denzel Mims for this game, that dude might as well just like retire because he's not playing. They, Mims watch here. He's another. There's a bunch of these guys for whom they're obviously like a better player than people ahead of them, but they don't play special teams. They're just not like Denzel Mims. The two things they are saying as reasons why he's not playing: he doesn't play special teams, 
and he doesn't know all of the wide receiver positions. So he can't be like the primary backup to everything. Right. But it's just, I, I mean, I get it, but it feels, it feels not useful. This is like Dantzler, right? Okay, maybe he doesn't cover everything and he doesn't play special teams. But on the, on the other hand, have you considered that he might be your best corner? Right. Like Denzel Mims doesn't play special teams special and can't cover... 11% of the game right. at Does, best. Doesn't play special teams and can't cover all three wide receiver positions. On the other hand, have you considered that the one time he threw him the ball this year was a 40-yard play? Like, maybe he can be useful in spite of those things. Yeah, the 40-yard play tends to offset the rest of those things. Um, Tennessee Titans, if it's no Julio Jones and no A.J. Brown, there's a lot more Derrick Henry. There's a lot more, you know, Westbrook Aquina <laughs> and Chester Rogers and Racy McMath and it's what I'm Cameron Batson. This is where I think the top-heavy nature of their roster could come back to bite a little bit. I think they'll win. They'll be fine. Tannehill's still throwing the ball well. He's got the highest. He's got the most big-time throws that have been dropped, so they actually haven't shown up from a production standpoint. He's had a couple quirky interceptions in there. He's picked up a lot of yards on the ground, you know, key first downs and everything. Tannehill's playing well again. Um, but I think the Jets... I think the Jets can keep this one close. Yes. I'll predict Wilson doesn't turn the ball over like crazy and the Jets cover and the Tennessee Titans win. Another one of those. Yeah, I'm in on that as Jets well. Jets keep it close here. Um, and we agree. All yeah. right, the Packers are at home taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are. Favored by six and a half. In our specifically designed last game of the show. Yeah, we just we wanted to finish with a bang, mm -hmm. right? We, mm -hmm. we start high and we... It's like a... What the hell are you doing? It's built. Anyway, let's go. What are you looking for in this game? Steelers and Packers. Steelers in danger of going to one and three here. Yeah. Um, are they cooked? Do they have a pass rush? Like, where did it go last week? Okay, yeah. there were some plays in there where they were winning and the ball was out quickly, but that doesn't explain the complete disappearance of that pass rush absent TJ Watt. Is he really that important to this group? Um, or can the other three guys that should be showing up actually form some kind of pressure on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I mean, I made the I made the point the other day about from a Bengals perspective, Cameron Hayward gets quick pressure right. and Joe Burrow makes the throw because the receiver's open. That's also from a Pittsburgh perspective here. A team that has been so dependent on their pass rush historically um, and they made moves this offseason. They made moves along the lines of doesn't matter who we throw back there. We can we can put it together in the back end, in the secondary, and make it work. Yeah, they traded for Akella Witherspoon before the season. They like James Pierre, who's you know, he's done some nice things. But an old Joe Hayden, James Pierre, Cameron Sutton, um, Minka Fitzpatrick does have one of the worst grades in the NFL right now. I always feel like I need to explain that because mm. he's made some nice flash plays. He has been put into a do-it-all safety role this season. And he's just been out of position a lot. You know, whether it's whiffing on Josh Allen twice in the open field or getting beat deep when the, the, the ball was overthrown. A couple other passes have gone over his head that just haven't been uh, I think, either completed or or he's giving up first downs or he's been out of position in plays where you're like, oh, here's this wide open receiver. But when you go back and look at the tape, it's like, well, that's Minka's coverage, right? So there are all these hidden plays where he's been put into this challenging role and it hasn't been for the benefit of the defense. I think people underestimate how hard it is to be a good do-it-all safety. Like That's a lot point. of people get put into that position and it it tends to look it's one of the, it's a, bit, a little bit like linebacker, right? Where 
it's easy to look good as a linebacker because the plays you make are obvious and the plays you don't make are a little bit easier to hide. So there's a play, uh, who was the center? Devin White got like blocked off the field on a screen this past week, right? Nobody would notice that play. It's a play that only shows up when you're like, hey, look at the, the job this center does. And oh, who's that linebacker getting driven 15 yards off the field? Oh, it's Devin White. Maybe that's why he doesn't have the PFF grade that everybody wants him to. Like linebackers are that position. And I think do it all safeties are like that position yeah. as well. You notice the splash plays they make because they're flying around playing multiple different positions, but you don't notice the 10 times they're badly out of position because they're trying to kind of guess and getting it wrong. And I think it's very – the number of guys that can do that and not have the bad plays is really small. That's why Troy Palomalu was such a freak for his entire career. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. So that's what's ha- – so my point is the Steelers, again, number three pass rush grade in the NFL. They're getting pressured. They're not covering well. Number three uh, – third worst coverage grade in the NFL. I think Aaron Rodgers has a field day here in this yeah, particular like- game, especially if the Packers continue – I mean, the Steelers continue to play – zone-heavy scheme with a four-man rush. The Steelers all of a sudden are seeing how thin their pass rush actually is. When you take TJ Watt out of it, Stephon Tewitt is injured, and that's, I think, a really big miss for them that they haven't had him so far this season. Now it's just Cam Hayward and um, Irving, who you you know signed off, Melvin Ingram, rather, who yeah. you signed off the street like just before the season. So those guys are now carrying your pass rush, and if you don't have the league's best pass rush, the secondary starts to show its cracks, where they would have been there last year, except you had you were pressuring the opposing quarterback forty five percent of the time. So yeah, if they can't manufacture a pass rush against Green Bay, it could be a tough day for them. Uh, Steelers, worst least efficient running attack in the NFL. Yeah. Um, so Najee did not solve those problems. So a lot mm. of issues in Pittsburgh, including Big Ben aging, uh, Rogers on I think his way the, towards the cliff, the the yeah. rocks at the bottom of the cliff. Yeah, I'm, I think. I think Matt Ryan at least slows down on his way to the cliff this week. I think Ben. Well, there's no slowing down. You're he's there. You're in the air. He's I in mean, the air. You're yeah. just reaching terminal velocity, and then you're smashing into the rocks. I'll take Green Bay to cover the six and a half here. Yeah, same. They win and cover. So, one more week of this, and I think the Packers are who we thought they were. It's just one one blip in week one that we blame Jeopardy on. Yeah, Pittsburgh currently has the 32nd ranked offense using PFF Elo. They're 30 seconds? That's dead-ass last is the technical term for that. It kind of feels that way. Yeah. Watching them. It's funny. Every year, ELO has something where I think they had the Steelers like 27th or something before the season. I'm like, come on, ELO. Come on, math. There's no way they're that bad. And then I get proven wrong. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they should have been 27th. And here they are at 32nd. Oh, yeah. They maybe, got worse. Maybe ELO was off. Too high. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, there was once upon a time, I think 2009, these two teams in Green Bay had an incredible shootout. Roethlisberger versus Rodgers. Not this week. Yeah. Packers roll. That's it. All the week four games in the books. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back here early Monday morning. Uh, trying to hit record right at 7 a.m. So everybody wake up early or stay up all night. Whatever you got to do. Uh, be there 7 a.m. As we go head to head with Good Morning Football on Monday, on Monday morning. We'll be moving into a uh, little new podcast studio soon as well. Yes. And then we won't have to wake anybody else up. We'll be able to do it ourselves. It's a good studio. I don't think I don't think I need to wear pants in the studio. It's just waist I up. I think you do. Big enough. No, okay. We'll all wear pants. We'll have fun. Different studio though. We could do some cool stuff. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Enjoy the games. We'll see you Monday.